dreams were your ticket out Welcome back to that same old place that you laughed about Well the names have all changed since you hung around But those dreams have remained and they've turned around Who'd have thought they'd lead ya? Who'd have thought they'd lead ya? Back here where we need ya Here where we need ya Yeah, we tease them a lot Cause we got them on the spot Welcome back Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back We always could spot a friend Welcome back And I smile when I think how you must have been And I know what a scene you were learning in Was there something that made you come back again? And what could ever lead ya? What could ever lead ya? Back here where we need ya Here where we need ya Yeah, we tease them a lot Cause we got them on the spot Welcome back Welcome back Welcome back Welcome back Welcome back Welcome back And I know what a scene you were learning in Was there something that made you come back again? And what could ever lead ya? What could ever lead ya? Back here where we need ya Here where we need ya Yeah, we tease him a lot Cause we got him on the spot Welcome back Welcome back Welcome back Welcome back Welcome back Welcome back Yeah, we tease him a lot Welcome back Welcome back Cause we got him on the spot Welcome back Welcome back Yeah, we tease him a lot Cause we got him on the spot Welcome back 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 All right, welcome back, good birds. Thank you all for being here this morning. Yes, uh, yes, you're probably asking, did you really use church funds to hire Foundering to play the themes to Welcome Back, Cotter? Yes, I did. Do you really think that's an appropriate use of church funds? It is. I think so. Anyway, welcome back, everybody, to the Nostra Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. You are, um, we do service every Sunday, and you were listening to your teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart. I'll get it out this morning. Brother Marty Leeds, thank you all for being here. We do service every Sunday except when we don't. So we've been gone the last two weeks, and I know it's Broken Bear. There's like, hey, you can take a vacation. There was no vacation had. There was no vacation had whatsoever. We've been working our freaking tails off, and we got a lot done. And so, but we got to get back into the service. So uh, here we go. So as you can see, we are going to get back into the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26. And we called this the plot against Jesus because it's a conspiracy. There was a conspiracy against the Lord. So, and we're going to talk about that today. And um, 
we're going to do all 75 verses of this thing. And there, yeah, there's 75 verses. And since I've been gone for two weeks, I figured let's just do an epic, you know, live stream, maybe two, three hours or something like that. I guess we'll see what happens, but we're going to try to get through the whole thing. So before we get going, there's 75 verses in this chapter, in chapter 26. And I just wanted to let you guys know that if you add the first 75 digits of pi, it actually equals 360. So I'm not sure if that has anything to do with math and you and you and math, but and does pi have anything to do with this? I think it does. But uh, so I think that that's pretty interesting. But okay, so let's jump into it. Um, thank you all for being here. Once again, Matthew chapter 26, the plot against Jesus. Now we haven't been back into the book of Matthew um, since we did the parable of the 10 virgins. And that was like several weeks ago. So we did a few um, live streams in between there. We did Santa Claus and all that other stuff. So anyway, uh, the parable of the 10 virgins. So we're going we're gonna to march forward. And... Um, bef no, I know we might have a hacking dog in the background, just so you know. <laughs> okay. So anyway, um, this, this chapter, what we're really going to see is that, and this real, this chapter really puts it over the top. I mean, it, it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's pedal to the metal really is what it is. This chapter is showing that the Bible is celestial allegory, that this is not a quote-unquote literal history book. It is his story, as we talk about, it is the history, it is the ones written in the stars. It is the transcendental history that that is always with us in this sense. And this is really what we're going to see today. Over all of the other chapters that we ever done, this one, like I said, just goes over the top to show to show you this, okay? What we're going to see here is the beginning of what would be considered the passion of Jesus, where, you know, basically he's, you know, taken to the cross at, you know, Passover, Last Supper, you know, he's, you know, the, the whole bit, we get into Pontius Pilate next chapter, that sort of thing. But basically what this whole story is, is that the passion of Jesus sets the template for our own death and resurrection. And that's really what Jesus is. It's this whole idea, take up the cross, you know, um, you know, deny thyself and take up the cross. And this is this idea that he sets the template, the, you know, the, the route that we need to take, the pathway that we need to take for our own salvation, for our own enlightenment. And that ultimately is a death and resurrection. And that's what we're going to see that this is all about. And of course, it's all based on the patterns of the sun. So this story is given to us by the sun, as we know. Um, Christ's death and rebirth represents transcension off the wheel of fate, fortune, and karma. And that's what we're going to see. What is, the, what is understood cosmologically as the wheel of fate, fortune, and karma? It would be what? The zodiac. It's the disciplines or the disciples of the zodiac. And so our whole process, our whole goal here is ultimately to get off that, that wheel of, in, sense, in this sense, reincarnation, right? Now, a lot of people say, like, this shows it's a trap, it's a prison. No, no, this is the process that God has set up for the soul to come down here to, to undergo, you know, the earth is the, the testing ground for the soul for, the, you know, to undergo those trials and, um, you know, the, the ups and downs here. And this is what earth is, is created for. And so your soul has to basically, if you will, shed or put a break to that wheel, get off the wheel, get into the center of that wheel. And that's what we're going to see this whole thing is really about today, um, and we will get into it. So let's do it. Matthew chapter 26, numero uno, and it came to pass, comma, let's stop right there. And it came to pass, comma. Immediately, this is this uh, really cryptic way, of course, and poetic way in which they put um, the, the Trinity really into the first line of, of, the book, of the chapter here, right? And it came to pass. Let's break this thing down. Let's be surgical about it, right? It came. It arrived at a specific place. Right, it, what it, you know, whatever the thing is, the the story, the person, that sort of thing. It came, arrived at a specific place to pass. 
Okay, so change from one state or condition to another. So it came to pass, which means it came from the future. It entered into the present and it left into the past. And that's exactly what is, that's exactly what they're, you know, Jesus, you know, is. It's the Holy Trinity. It's past, present, and future. The future entered into the present and passed into the past. It came to pass. So the first thing that they give you is that Trinitarian doctrine. Before, before they even finish the sentence, if you know how to read the Bible, they give you the fundamentals of the Trinity. The Father, the future, the Creator, the Son, which is the ever-present, always in the present, and of course, the, of course, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, which is the transformer or the past or what would be the quote-unquote destroyer. Okay, so the first line, and it came to pass, is Trinitarian, Kama. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he had said unto his disciples, Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Okay, so let's talk about Passover. What is Passover? As we can see, Passover itself tells you, and we've talked about this before, little review, but Passover itself tells you that what you're dealing with is a celestial document, that what you're dealing with is an astrological document, right? The Passover begins on what would be the Hebrew month, the 15th day of Nisan, whatever, but um, which at present falls between March 26th and April 25th in the Gregorian calendar. How do we establish when Passover is? It's after the... Um, is the first night of a full moon after the spring equinox. Okay, so the sun is going from its pits of, you know, the, and this is, you know, it's kind of happening right now where the days are starting to get longer, right? The sun dies down into the pits and, you know, days get shorter and shorter and shorter and all of a sudden they start getting longer and longer and then it hits the equinox and then the days start, you know, basically this would be spring, this would be the, really what should be celebrated as the new year. Now we celebrate Passover, what? After the spring equinox and when and what? The first night of a full moon, which means it's it's a uh, symbolic. It's absolutely symbolic of the notion that what there's the, the the rebirth, if you will, of the sun and the moon. Okay, and as as we know, this is what alchemy is all about, it, and we'll see this today. I mean, they they actually are they're uh, once again they're they're pretty they're uh, in your face about it in in some of these instances. So you have the merging of the man and the woman, the sun and the moon. Okay, and that's what's going on. So it, here we have this notion that Jesus was put on a cross and died, and then three days he resurrected. And then I always make the point is like, okay, so you don't know when he he was born, even though they tell you they followed a star in the east and they knew when and where and everything like that. And then you don't know when he died. It changes depending on the sun and the moon. That should tell you everything you need to know about what you're reading. What you're reading is allegorical, mythological, and based on the patterns of the stars above. And what we're going to see is that it's not just a... Um, well, once again, there's a science to that of the merging of the sun and the moon, the man and the woman, the circle and the square. And they're going to get into it today and they're going to show you this. OK, and it's pretty freaking awesome. So what happens in the equinox? Right. What happens? Well, that's, you know, it's passing over. The sun is passing over. It passes over that equinoctial line. That equino the, the, the equinoctial marker and it goes into the light part of the year. And that's spring, summer, and then, you know, the beginnings of fall until it actually the sun starts to fall into the darkness. So Passover just tells you that what? Oh, the sun is passing over into that light, into that light. That has a correlation to what happens with you spiritually as we know. What happens to that sun within you? And we'll cover all of this. I'm going to go over this quick and then we'll get into it. What happens? That sun, that light, that energy which is understood uh, first and foremost sexually, right? Uh, it starts at that the coccyx or the sacrum, right? And then it's supposed to what? Rise up those 32, 33 bones of the spinal column and pass over into the heaven of the head, into the high place, into the ram, into the lamb, etc., right? How many bones in your spinal column? 33. 
What's the gematria uh, equivalent of Passover? It's 33. So the point is, is that we see, hey, whatever our spiritual life is, our spiritual death and rebirth, it has to model, and it is modeled after the death and rebirth of the sun. And so we have Passover, and of course, what do you do? You pass over that spinal column, that shaft, that scepter, that wand, that is your spinal column, your, your spinal cord, and it goes up into the head, the Aries, the ram. And that's the 32 and the 33, the axis and the atlas bones, okay? And this is what the whole thing is about, as we'll see. It's all about arising. As we've seen a time and time again, they just basically give you all these different reiterations of how you understand this basic alchemical trans, you know, uh, process of transmutation of the soul. That's what it is. What is it based on as we know? We'll talk about this and we'll get going once again. little review. It's about the chrism and the Christ and the oil. And that's where we're going to see because Christ is actually anointed by a lady. And we're going to see that that anointing is in the stars. So what is Christ? It's the anointed, synonymous with the translation to Greek. Messiah, of course, this is the Messiah. Chrism, it's the oil mingled with balm. It comes from oil, an olive oil, in fact. And we're going to go to the Mount of Olives today, as you know. So, so this is the prop, this is the prophecy of the Passover. So this is line 2, 26-2. Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. What's the crucifixion? Of course, that's the cross. That's the solstices and equinoxes. What's the sun? It's the S-U-N of man. The sun of man, the S-U-N, the light that's within man, and that's represented by the light above, of course, right? Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the son of man is betrayed to be crucified. Let's do some math. Lots of math today, lots of astrology. Lots of math and lots of astrology. Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the son of man is is betrayed to be crucified. What is this line saying? It's saying that this is a prophecy. It has to come. It's when, when a prophecy is made and a prophecy is fulfilled, that, that what, it, what it represents is a transcendental, a transcendental truth. It's an axiom of the creation itself. This has to happen. There's, th- th- that's why it's prophesized. This is, this is a part of the mechanics of this whole thing. This, you know, so in other words, the story of Jesus, what is being told, is represented in the stars. And this is something that's a cosmic truth, Okay. Look at the gematria total of this. You know that after two days is the feast of the Passover and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. The gematria total is three, four, five. Now, any of you, any of you people that have studied, you know, masonry, sacred geometry, that sort of stuff, knows what if you if you say three, four, five, what is it? It's the sequential numbers, right? Right after two, of course, but three, four, five is is a cryptic reference mathematically to what? The Pythagorean theorem. Three squared plus four squared equals five squared. It's a, fu- it's a fundamental in, you know, of course, trigonometry and all that sort of stuff. So what is being said here in encodings, in, in the encodings in the 3, 4, 5 here? You know that if it's the feast of the Passover, when the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified, this has to happen, in other words, because it's a cosmic truth. 3, 4, 5. The Son of Man being crucified, crucified is, pre- is as predictable as the Pythagorean theorem because it is based on the cyclical patterns of the sun. And that's what's being said. This, once again, this has to happen. It's a cosmic truth. This, um, to, to understand these things, that there are axioms of the universe that these things are based on, whether that's the, the patterns of the sun or, the, of course, the um, universal language of mathematics, you'll find this exact same thing in the name of God. Okay? There's El Shaddai and then, of course, El Shaddai. El Shaddai is the name of God or Lord in, in the original Hebrew, one of the, one of the names. There's many names, of course, but El Shaddai, what does it equal? Three, four, five. So God is as provable as the Pythagorean theorem, right? The sun being betrayed and crucified and rising again 
is as predictable as pi. Okay? So look at El Shaddai there. So there's El Shaddai. Okay, let's just take, let's look at Shaddai. Let's 314. So Shaddai equals pi. El Shaddai gives you the numbers to the Pythagorean theorem. And what is it, what is it ultimately saying? Because that sun is the sun in our sky, it's saying these patterns have been with us since the very first moment that God spoke light. And they're as predictable as any of the, any of the um, you know, um, universal constants in mathematics. E, pi, Pythagorean theorem, tau, whatever it is. And that's ultimately what we're going to learn today. The logos itself, Christ itself, is, is that transcendent order, is that etern eternal principles existing within man. That's, that's what he is. That's what he represents, and that's what he represents to us. And he is going to put the, you know, give us the pathway, if you will, the template in which we are to follow. So he is surpassing the ordinary, he's exceptional, superior, supreme, consummate, predominant, preeminent, ascendant, paramount. All of these terms are the, the, the beyond, the other, to, to say that there's nothing that man can do to change these things. And this is one of the lessons that we're going to learn because Jesus is going to be pretty, uh, you know, pr pretty forward with this message. He's like, nope, I have to go. I have to go be crucified. It's in the prophecy. Why? Because it's based on the patterns of the sun. So, 26.3, then assembled, this is where the conspiracy comes in, and it's a conspiracy of Jews. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest who is called Caiaphas. Now when it says, I've underlined them there, when it says like chief priests and scribes, who are the people? They were scribing the Torah, which means what? Which means they were, ultimately, these people were astute in the esoteric arts. Now, are these light magicians? No. These, as we're going to find out, are dark magicians because they conspired against the light itself. They, the, these are the kind of people that are the chosen people that think that they are, that they can, you know, change the course of the sun, if you will. This is how deranged they are. When it says chief priests, they're the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, right? An, an elder in this sense is like a bishop or like a shaman, that sort of thing. The high priest, what are these people? They're Kabbalists. That's who scribes the Torah, people that know Kabbalah. People know that the, the esoteric arts behind them, the esoteric sciences behind them. So basically what's happening? All of these d dark occultists, black magicians, black Kabbalists, if you will, not like the black Israelites right, or anything like that, but dark magicians that are coming together to conspire against Jesus, okay? Now, they're Kabbalists. They're Kabbalists. That's what they are, okay? And um, now, once again, you don't have to be, you don't, you don't have to be Shmuelio Goldberg with, you know, a stained mattress underground in New York City to be a Kabbalist, right? Kabbalah is one of those universal sciences that is for all people, okay? And we're going to see that the box, the, the, the cube or the box is exactly what's referenced when Jesus is anointed. So Caiaphas, what does this mean? It means the basket man, the cryptographer, a rock man. Right. That's the, so. It's a cryptographer, and that's exactly what they're. That's exactly what I'm saying. They are the chief priests and the scribes. They're all Kabbalists. They're the scribes. They're 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 encrypting the Bible. Okay. Notice Caiaphas is a basket man, a rock man, or a big round container. It's a rock. Okay. This has a reference to um, astrology, which I'll just I'll show you in a second. But when you're a cryptographer, what do you have? Um, oh, there it is again. Basket man, cryptographer, rock man, big round container, rock. That's what he is. If you're a cryptographer, what do you have? 
well, you have the keystone. You have the keystone. And that's what we're going to see Caiaphas is, is the Hercules. He's one of the, he's one of the top, you know, if you will, uh, high priests in, in, our, um, uh, you know, in our firmament, in our dome, if you will. Okay? So Hercules, the, uh, the, um, the asterism within Hercules, and you can even see it looks like he's holding a basket. It's actually a big-ass stone, and the keystone is a huge asterism. It's a really large asterism. This actually is a representation of the keystone that's uh, over the door. Or, or, or over the, um, excuse me, the um, when when Jesus was in uh, the tomb for three days. This is the big rock, actually. The tomb is actually Ophiuchus. We won't get into that today. But these Caiaphas, what did they have? They had the keystone. They had the key and the stone. What's the stone? We already know the stone is the cube. What is the cube? It's six sides. Okay, add those six sides together. Triangulate that stone. One plus two plus three plus four plus five plus six equals 21. The six sides... You add them together, it equals 21. What's the stone? It's 21 in English, gematria. What's the key? Even broken up, that's, those are the words. Keystone, keystone. What's the key? We already know the key is right in front of us. Key equals 10 in English, gematria. What is that? What is Kabbalah based on? Your hands. We know the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The time is at hand. We'll see that today. How many reference of the hands there are in this chapter. So these Caiaphas, these high priests, these all these people that were getting together to conspire against Jesus were what? They were Kabbalists. Okay, Caiaphas, by the way, <clears throat> equals 26. What is that? It's a reference to what? The Tetragrammaton, the holy name, one of the holy names of God. The, the Hashem, if you will, the name equals 26. Lord God, the same equivalent in English, equals 26. How many pieces of the cube? There's eight points, 12 lines, and six faces. And what does that equal? 26. So, when I'm making the claim here that, hey, we were talking about this, this Caiaphas, right? These, uh, the, chiefs, the chief priests and the scribes and the high priests and the Caiaphas, they were all called Caiaphas. They were all called the cryptographers. They were all called what? They had the, the, the basket man, the cryptographer, where is he? Hercules. This is what the, the, the reference is, astrologically, okay? And so they were trying to hide the esoteric arts from the people, because what does Jesus represent ultimately? He came for everyone. He came for the people. So these chief priests, these Jews, these scribes are doing what? They're hiding the esoteric arts from the common man. And they're even going to conspire against the man that's bringing it to the common man. They're doing it today. 26.4, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. Well, if they're taking Jesus by subtlety, we already know who they're working for because now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, which the 26 had made, if you will. <laughs> right? Now the, the serpent was more subtle. So these people worked in subtleties, which means they were sly. They were serpentine. They were snake-like, if you will. They were the snake oil salesmen, if you will. Okay? But they said, 26.5, not on the feast day. Let's not do this on the feast day, which is just more of, you know, this is just the Bible letting you know even more that there, this is a conspiracy. Don't, do, we're going we're gonna to try to trick him with subtlety and things like that, but don't do it on the feast day because there might be an uproar of the people, which means that these Jews knew that Number one, that Jesus was a divine man, that the people recognized it, and that they, they couldn't do, they couldn't perform their conspiracy, if you will, because the people would find out and then they would turn their backs on the underground Jews. 
So, um, yeah, so this is how the Bible explains a conspiracy to you. You know, when, when people say conspiracies don't exist. No, they're literally in the Bible. They're, it's like several verses in, in, in multiple chapters, as we know in the New Testament. In other words, these people knew exactly what they were doing. There's no question about it. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, 26.6 says, what is Bethany? Okay, this is to let you know that once again, there's this sort of universality to these stories. What is Bethany? Beth is the, the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet and it means house. So Bethany, Beth any, house any, house any. It's any house. This could be happening in your house, in your temple, if you will. Okay? Any house, this could be happening. And who was there? Simon the leper. That's what it says. Simon the leper. In the house of Simon the leper. Well, what does Simon mean? Simon means, um, Simon, we actually looked at this when we looked at Simon Peter, but Simon is, um, it's, uh, he has heard. That's what it means. Simon, Sai also is the Greek letter. It uh, resembles a trident. And it was a symbol for the psyche, meaning the mind or the soul, if you will. The seat of the soul would be in the center, if you will, um, you know, in the, in the pineal gland. That's what they call that. But the psyche, which is, of course, your mind. Simon means he has heard, which means the constellation we're dealing with is what? In the zodiac man. Aries, the head. He has heard. He's also a leper, just which, which means that he has, he has what? He's in, in this, um, in the allegorical or symbolic language that they use. What is when somebody is sick or they, they're diseased or they, they have leprosy? What is it? It means that they have a spiritual sickness. This is what the, sim, the symbolism of all of this means, right? So look at he's a leper. We'll just, just read that in reverse. So leper, what is it? It's to repel. It's drive or force or attack, back away, to be repulsive or distasteful. So he was a he was a leper who was was ultimately what repelling the Lord, driving or forcing away God, and he needed Christ in his life. He needed that that sun, that light. Okay, so Jesus was in. This could really be any house. Could be your house. This story could be happening in. And he was in the house of Simon the leper, which of course recognizing what astrologically that he was in Aries, the head. And then a woman comes and anoints Jesus. 26.7, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. Who is the woman? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay this all out and then we'll, we'll pull back and then you can see the whole, the whole sky so we can see the whole thing happening here, okay? Who's this woman? Well, this woman, as we're going to find out, is Andromeda. Andromeda is a woman in the heavens who is close by the pole star, right by Aries, Simon, if you will, right by there. And she is the progeny of Cassiopeia and Cepheus. And they are the king and queen of Ethiopia. And there it is. So there's, you can see the pole stars at the very top there. You can see there's Cassiopeia, there's Cepheus. And the Andromeda is the progeny of the king and queen. Okay? So this is, what, this is the woman that's going to anoint Jesus. And there's Andromeda. A couple different pictures of it right there. Okay. Andromeda. Now, of course, Jesus is sinless, never sinned. That's the idea, right? Which ultimately means what? He's innocent. So this woman is coming to pour, anoint Jesus, pour oil on his head with an alabaster box, a cube, if you will, a kaba. And what does Andromeda represent? Andromeda herself represents innocence. And this is why Andromeda 
is anointing Jesus. Okay? Because he is what? Innocent. That alabaster box, that alabaster, you just wait till you see this shit. <laughs> That's crazy. This alabaster box, what is alabaster? It's a translucent, trans, little, little, translucent, whitish, marble-like mineral. Okay? Used for vases, ornaments, and busts. So it's like ornamental, it's white. White, ultimately, under, we understand, means purity. Correct? Okay? So she has this box, this kaba, that's white and pure, and she's going to anoint Christ with the oil, the chrism. Okay? Well, here it is astrologically. Okay? So there's Aries. There, we're in any house right now, and Simon the leper, who is Aries, Simon, he has heard the psyche, the mind, has heard, the, and this woman comes over who's Andromeda, and she's going to anoint the head of Jesus. She grabs a white box. What is Andromeda attached to? Well, it's called the Great Square of Pegasus. It's a two-dimensional box, if you will. So everybody see that? So there's the alabaster box. There's the woman, and there's the head of Jesus. So Andromeda is going to take that white box and pour the chrism onto the oil, if you will, onto the head of Jesus. Why is that box white? Well, because that box is part of what? The white horse of Pegasus. Pegasus is almost always shown to be a white horse. There's the, the stars there. And there's a bunch of different illustrations, paintings, and things like that. So all of this, once again, is astrology to the T. Okay? The white box of Pegasus. This is the past. This is the astrology. This is looking at it astrologically. So we're going to find out that Andromeda, her name in the, in the story is Mary of Bethany because that marriage, if you will, can happen in any house. It's supposed to happen in your house, as you guys know. So, but Mary right there, that Andromeda is going to grab the box, the white box, and what's right above that box? It's the circle, as we know. This is the, the equinox where you see what? Where the circle and the square, squaring the circle, make an appearance. So what is the woman doing? She's pouring that chrism, that oil over his head with the white box of purity, the Kaaba, and what's in it, if you will, mythically, mystically, squaring the circle. And all of this, and this is Passover, you can see Passover happens like right now, it's on, what, I guess, April 26th, or, you know, it, it, it varies. But as you can see, it actually usually or more often than not, it actually encompasses um, Aries. It doesn't matter if you're looking at tropical or whatever. In, in the actual, you know, if you look up in the sky, that's what you'll see. So there's that whole thing. And so there you go. So she, Andromeda, Mary, is squaring the circle. What is squaring the circle? It's the geometric process of finding a quality within the circle and the square, leading one to the merging of heaven and earth is the process of bringing the entirety of the divided and individuated world back into its first primordial state of ultimate unification, Adam, before the fall in paradise. Okay, squaring the circle has long been revered as the ancient geometrical problem. The problem arose with the need to find the area of a circle. The solution was to find a formula or geometric construction that would enable someone to draw a square with an area that exactly corresponded to the area of a particular circle. The difficulty of this problem has been coined in the alchemical lore as squaring the circle, a euphemism for something that was almost impossible, yet mystical. It's impossible in this sort of sense on paper, 
mystically, it's entirely possible. And this is exactly what, um, oops, sorry. This is exactly what's being referenced here. The squaring the circle, the merging of heaven and earth. And all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, Jesus says. Heaven is a circle, earth is a square. That's exactly what's happening. Okay. And so then they say, they say, oh, let me go back up here. So everybody get that. So everybody say, so uh, this woman came, 27, uh, or excuse, 26, 7. She had the alabaster box, poured it on his head. But when the disciples saw it, they had indignation saying, to what purpose is this waste? That was a very precious oil. And he just dumped it on his head. For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Now we already know, can you sell doves in the temple? No, you can't. Can you sell? Can you sell the oil? No, you can't. We just learned in the last chapter what? Right? That there was the five virgins that were foolish and the five that were wise and the wise kept their oil. And then the foolish, they were like, well, why don't you just go buy it? And then they tried to go buy it. And what happened? They came back and the five had already went into the marriage with Christ. Did they not? Yes. Can't buy that oil. So the disciples didn't understand. And then when Jesus understood that they didn't understand, which is the next line, 2610, when Jesus understood it, he said unto them this, comma, why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work on me. What is the good work? Wrought means work. What is the good work? It's the great work. That's exactly what squaring the circle is. It's the great work. It has a geometric corollary. It has a geometric science to it. And the entire cosmos is based on it. And where we are in the story in the equinox is based on it. So the, when uh, he's Jesus you know, goes right to the disciples. He's like, bro, guys, what, why are you worried about this? Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. What is he saying? Where do you do, where do, you do the work? With your own two hands. What's the gematria of exactly what Jesus says to the disciples? Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. What is that equal in English gematria down there? Look at it. 210. So that Andromeda, who we're going to find out is Mary, took that Kaaba, that pure Kaaba, and poured the chrism, the oil, onto the Aries that squared the circle. And what did she do it with? Her own two hands. Why, why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. Do you know what your hands are? 14 phalanges on your right hand. 14 phalanges on your left hand. Add 1 through 14 on your left hand, it equals 105. Add 1 through 14 on your right hand, it equals 105. And do you know what your two hands equal when you triangulate them? When you turn them into triangles, you know what happens? It equals 210. And that's exactly what the woman did. So when we say, hey, these, the Caiaphas, they had the keystone, and the key is the hands, and the time is at hand, and the kingdom of heaven is at hand, there's math to that. Just like when we say the, the process of uniting the all, you know, the, the coincidentia positorum, uniting heaven and earth and the whole bit, there's math behind that. Okay. Let's move on. 2611. For ye have the poor. Why are you guys bitching? This is what Jesus is essentially saying. He's like, why are you guys bitching? You, got, you have the poor with you always, but me ye have not always. What does he mean? What does he mean? This is exactly what we mean by the, the great work, that we're all the fool. We all show up into this world poor in spirit, if you will. We're fools. We're, we'll, we'll, in, in this sense, we're, we'll always be the guy that, walk, that get, enters into the world, the person that enters into the world that doesn't know shit from Shinola. 
Okay? Then what happens? Well, Christ shows up in your life. And that's not always with you. Of course, Christ is always with you. But what do you have to do? You have to undergo that process of transformation, transmutation of the soul in order for you to be conscious of it and recognize it. And we're going to see, as we see with uh, Judas had to go kiss Jesus because there was a bunch of people that were like, Who's, who is this Jesus character? Show us this Jesus. You know, give us some sign that this is the dude because they couldn't see him. So what are we saying here? For ye always, for ye have the poor always with you. But me, you have not always. Okay? For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. 26, 12. She poured it on his body, onto the head, onto his body. That goes all the way through the body, of course. This is the chrism and the oil. And then what happens? He said, well, she did it because I'm going to die. Because what happens in the process of death and resurrection? Resurrection. What happens to the sun in the winter? It, die, it goes down, it dies, and is reborn. This is what has to happen. This is the cosmic truth that is laid out for us by the sun. Okay? She did it for my burial because I am going to be resurrected as the light. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told of a memorial of her. So, when this gospel is preached to the whole world about the great work, about the kingdom of heaven is at hand, about squaring the circle, about the Kaaba of the, oh, the ointment and that oil in the box, wherever this is taught and wherever this is preached, we have to memorialize this woman. What's her name? We don't have a fucking clue. <laughs> right? this, does, this chapter doesn't tell you. One of the other chapters doesn't tell you. So this, this woman is memorialized, is supposed to be memorialized from the mouth of Christ himself, right? And it says, so who is this woman? Well, what, what's her name? It's just a woman. That's all they tell you. What happened to her after she anointed Christ? Well, we weren't really given that, that, that information, right? So we, we, there's two books. That they don't even, we're supposed to be memorializing this woman. And then the Bible doesn't even give you her name until one chapter. You have to like comb through the thing. Well, great memorial, the, the biblical writers did. Let's memorialize this woman and then forget her fucking name in two chapters. Matthew and Mark, he is anointed by an unnamed woman. You guys didn't do a very good job listening to Christ, did you? Uh, in John, though, the woman is identified as Mary of Bethany, of any house. Any house. Any house. What happens in any house? The Mary, the Mary, the marriage, the alchemical wedding. That's exactly what's going on in the sky. Andromeda is taking that Pegasus, that white box, with the circle in the square. And what is she doing? She's marrying. What happened in the last chapter? There was five foolish, five wise, and the five foolish, they took off, and the five wise stick around, and what happened? They went into the marriage with Christ. This is all about the alchemical marriage. The Mary, and it's, what a pun, too. The Mary, the Mary, the marriage, the alchemical wedding. Who gave birth to Christ? Mary. How do you give birth to Christ? Mary. Then, there's always one. There's always one that fucks up the party, isn't there, right? 2614, then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went in unto the chief priests and said unto them, Hey, what will you give me and I'll deliver him unto you, man? And they covenanted him uh, with him for 30 pieces of silver. 30 shackles, if you will. That's what, that's what he was going to get paid to sell out Christ, okay? So there's always one. That screws up the party. And so this is Judas. This is Judas looking very Jewy. 
He looked like he just crawled out from a sewer in New York City, doesn't he? Look at him. Looks very Jewy um, and and comes to kiss Christ. Now, um, Judas Iscariot, what does Iscariot mean? Of course, Kerioth is the name of two cities mentioned in the Bible. So Judas Iscariot is probably a native since his name is, he is, is from Kerioth. Judas is from Kerioth. That's, you know, what's at least generally what they, they say, right? But uh, Iscariot, Iscariot, Kerios means decayed of tooth or bone, full of decay, rottenness, decay. Iscariots, right? Man of Kerioth meaning, and it, that's exactly what it means, a traitor, right? So he's full of, he's not full of the light and the law, you know, the love and of Christ and stuff like that. He's full of decay, okay? And when we're talking about the Kiro, the chiropractor, we're talking about the 33 bones of the spinal column, that this is the Passover. Passover equals 33. It's all about the oil going down the spinal column and coming back up into the Aries. That's what this whole thing is about. That's what it's always about. And then what do we find Iscarius? If, what is he? It's decayed tooth and bone. Maybe just a, you know, weird connection. I'm saying it's an intentional. What did Judas do? He Judas. More puns. Okay. When you do somebody, the reason that that exists is because there is a thing within people who practice Judaism of screwing people over financially. As we know, the financial market is entirely run by what? The underground sewer rats in New York City. Okay. So Judas, what did he do, right? We, one of the things we can extract, at least, you know, uh, phonologically, phonetically, if you will, you know, is what? He Jewed him. That's exactly what he did. Okay? This is what Hiram Abiff and the Masonic ritual is all about, guys. It's all about this. It's about the fact that there was three Jews that went in and tried to, out of all the Masons, right, they tried to get the secret word, the password. They tried to, they tried to end up buying their way out of, out of the, or the earthly realm. They tried to use money. This is exactly what the entire ritual of Hiram Abiff is about. Do you remember if you guys paid attention, right? Basically, the, the Jews come up to the master Mason and is like, give me the secrets. Give me the keystone. Give me that oil. Tell me the secrets of squaring the circle. And what does Hiram Abiff do? He's like, no, no, because you're just going to be a Judas. That's literally what they're called, Jews. You're just going to be a Judas. You don't deserve it. I'm going to protect it. And what do those Jews end up going to do? They try to go buy it. The, the New Testament is, is, is telling the exact same story as the classic Masonic ritual that everybody's losing their shit about. Unfortunately, for those people losing their shit. Okay, so there, there's that. So, and they covenanted, covenanted him for 30 pieces of silver. This is, of course, where selling out is, 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 comes from, right? Okay. It doesn't take many to do this. To, when, when you talk about Christ came for humanity, right? And all those disciples were there to learn from Christ so that they could find their way, so that they could square the circle, so that they could, you know, undergo that transformation of the soul, so that they could get to heaven. They were following him. Well, one of the guys, and all it takes is one bad apple, right? Screws them all over. And that's what happens down here on earth. That has to happen. Darkness must be a part of earth down here because we have to have something to overcome. That's how the soul actually transforms through pain and suffering, through trials, through, you know, that sort of thing. So 
And this is when we talked about many are called, but few are chosen. There's not many of them. Few are the chosen people. Only 0.2% of the 8 billion people worldwide, if that's even a legitimate number, are, quote unquote, the chosen people. And what do they do? Fuck it up for the rest of us. Right? Now, they covenanted him for 30 pieces of silver. Well, we know if you guys have followed along, we did a video called The Twelve Disciples of the Zodiac, where we talked about who Judas Iscariot is in those disciples. In those, the houses of the Zodiac, Judas Iscariot is not Scorpio. No, most people think he is cancer. Why is Judas Iscariot cancer? I'm going to go over this real quick. For those of the people that um, want, uh, you know, more of an overview of this, you can actually go watch the original sermon. But Judas Iscariot is cancer. And he sold for 30 pieces of silver he sold Jesus for. The ruling house of cancer is the moon. What is silver? Well, 30, number one, is, is representing what? The 30 degrees of the house of the zodiac, obviously, right? And of course, it's silver. Well, there's only one house where there's, you know, the moon is the ruling house, and that's cancer. And what is, you know, the sun is gold, moon is silver. Pretty, pretty basic esoteric shit here, you know, symbolism. So, and he is one, he is the only disciple that was originally cut, if you will, the pinchers of the cancer of the, the crab cut from the original 12. There's more we could talk about there, but since we're doing an overview, that's, you know, I just want to cover this. So why is it that cancer, Judas Iscariot is betraying the son? Why does this, this is prophesized. It has to happen because why? It's based on the path of the sun because this is where the sun is actually betrayed in the sky, if you will. Okay. What happens? Gemini, May 21st to the 22nd. Then you get that solstice, the summer solstice. And this happens right 20th or 21st of June, right as it, right as it's going into cancer leaving the twins, going right into the house of Judas Iscariot with the 30 pieces of silver. And what happens? The son gets betrayed. Why is that? So everybody see what's happening. So the, what, is, what is really happening here in the sky? The son is going, um, oh, I did that wrong. The sun, uh, sorry, that, that graphic is wrong. But the sun is going up, 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 up from Aries. So right from the goes from the darkness, darker half of the year, and then the sun starts climbing. The days get longer. And in Aries, they get longer. And then Taurus, they even get longer. And then Gemini, they even get longer. And then what happens? The sun is betrayed. And then the sun starts going. No, I guess I did that right. Then the sun starts going down and starts losing light. So who betrayed the sun in our sky? The, 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 the house of cancer. Okay. Cancer is, once again, there's math to this. Why is the sun betrayed in cancer? This is the point in the year where the light starts to die. That, what's happening with Jesus? He's Passover. He's going to die. There's math to this. Everybody knows that the symbol of cancer, um, you can see it there. It looks very much like a six and a nine, doesn't it? It looks like 69, 96 maybe, 69. Okay. Obviously, you have some sort of mirroring happening here, if you will, Right? Okay, well, let's just look at the number 69. The divisors of 69 equal 96. And this is where it was all flipped, if you will. This is where the script was flipped, if you will. Uh, the sun, right, everybody thought the sun was just going to keep rising and rising and rising and rising into the, the heavens. And you know. Nope. It had to get betrayed and start dying and falling. And what happens? Ah, shit got flipped. You know what I'm saying? 69 became 96. 
literally in the divisors of the number that they use for the symbol of cancer. Twenty six sixteen, And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray them. Ju Judas did. Oh, okay. Okay. So, and from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Let's do some math on that one. What does that equal? 190. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Where is Christ? Within you. So, Who's he really betraying? Himself. The vigesimal system is, once again, the math of your feet and your hands. It's a base 20 system. It's called a vigesimal system. You count that system going 1, 0, 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, being 20 total digits. If you triangulate or if you just add all those numbers together, it equals 190. This is the basis of Genesis 1-1 in, in, in English. There's lots we can talk about here. First 10 digits of pi added together in English Camacho, 3.1415926, I think is what it is. Uh, five, three, something. <laughs> anyway, add those together, it equals 190. So lots, lots to talk about there with 190. So they sought to betray him. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him equals 190 and then we find out 190 is a representation of your hands and your feet so who did judas iscariot actually betray himself himself he sold himself out for what money everybody get that that's your hands and your feet that's the actual math of your hands and your feet and that's the gematria of Look at, for the opportunity for him, for Judas, to ultimately sell his ass, his own ass out. What happened to Judas? We'll find out next chapter. He hung himself. Because that's what happens when you sell out Christ. You go into a pit of despair and demoralization, and you're, you realize that your whole soul has just been compromised. And then devils come and disembowel you and all this other shit. Okay. So, now, uh, 2617, now the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? Leavened unleavened bread. What is leaven? It's a substance, typically yeast, that is used in dough to make it rise. So this is the feast of the unleavened bread. So what is ultimately? No, the bread has to be leavened, and so therefore it needs to be imbued with Christ in order to rise. Right? So the, the, the sort of, you know, this whole idea is symbolic language to be like, oh, you need to rise as well. Okay. <clears throat> Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And Jesus is going to be like, we're going to go to this guy's house. We're just going to go. And who is it? I don't know. But it's some dude's house. And he said, go into the city to such a man. Who is that? I don't know. And say to this man. The master saith, my time is at hand. There's a reference to the hand again. We'll get to that in just a bit here. And I will keep the Passover at thy house with my, with my disciples. Okay? My, the time is at hand. Of course, we have a, the sexagesimal system is on our hands. We'll talk about that. I will keep the Passover. He's going to keep that template, if you will, 
of our spiritual rebirth at thy house with my disciples. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Cephas. He's talking about the house that's actually by the city or the pole. I'll show you that in just a second. Cepheus the king, when seasoned stargazers look for the constellation Cepheus the king, they search for a five-sided pattern of stars that resembles a child's drawing of a house. Sometimes it's right side up. Sometimes it appears to stand on its roof. But Cepheus is far to the north on the sky's dome. Plus it lies adjacent to Polaris, the north star. So Jesus, once again, this is just dripping wet with astrology. How, how do you take this as literal history and make any sense of this? And he goes into the city to see such a man. Who is the man? It's Cephus. And where is this man? He's at his house. Okay. So this is the house. There's the house, Cephus. There's the man. There's where Jesus is going to take his disciples to have the, the Passover meal. And where is where it's in the city? What's the city? Well, polis means city. And what's right by Cepheus? Polaris, the city. It's all right there. Now he says, so everybody get that? Polaris, the city, polis, Cepheus, there's the house, there's the man. And then he says, my time is at hand. My time is at hand. Your hands... Calculate the 12 hours a day, 12 hours a night on the phalanges of your fingers. You put them together and they can actually calculate the rising and setting of the sun and, the, and dictate the time down to the 15-minute segments. 15, 30, 45, 60, that's all on your fingers. When we talk about, hey, the key, the key is right in front of you. The Caiaphas, those chief priests and the elders that, that conspired against Jesus, they knew all the fucking about it. Are they telling you? No. Is any of these churches telling you? No. Is the Gnostic Church and Academy telling you? Yes. <clears throat> and the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready for the Passover. So these 12 disciples got together for Jesus to rise up within what? You. And we'll see that. Next line says this. The cryptic nature of this is brilliant. It's absolutely Next level, brilliant. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. This is the Last Supper, of course. He sat down with the twelve. And we're going to see this is the Last Supper. This is the last time he sits down with the twelve. Why? Because he is going to transcend the body. Where all of the zodiac is, he sat down with the twelve. He's going to transcend all of those. The Aries, the, the, the oil, if you will, the, excuse me, the, the oil, the chrism is going to rise up into the Aries and then up and out of the Polaris in the Mount of Olives. And he's going to be, get, be getting off the wheel of fortune and the wheel of fate and wheel of karma. So this will be the last time that he dines with what? The 12 disciples of the Zodiac man. Now notice the cryptic language here. Now when the even was come, when night was come, he sat down with the 12. When you sit down, what do you sit on? You sit on your sacrum. You sit on your sacrum. And it's literally a variation of the word sacred. And what's in that? That's where your, your um, you know, sexual members are, right? And that's where the energy starts to flow up into your spinal column, right? I mean, it comes from the brain, shoots down. We all know this. I'm making this, you know, I'm abbreviating, but you get the point. Okay, it's a triangular bone, bone in the lower back formed, you know, from the vertebrae and... That leads to your spinal column. So, so, and then what's surrounding that sacrum? So the, the oil starts from the head, goes all the way down to the sacrum where he sat. 
and then travels back up the spine and into the head, into the what? Into the center of the Aries, which is, you know, pineal gland, the whatever, the, you, you get that, that whole thing. We're not going to go into that too much. But what's surrounding, pay attention, what's surrounding the sacrum? It's the hip bone. It's the hip bones. It's the hip bones that surround the sacrum. So from the sacrum, the Aries, the oil, the chrism, the arises from the sacrum and the hip bone, and it goes all the way up to the hippocampus and the horns of Aries. And that's exactly what the hippocampus looks like. It even looks like horns. Notice, well, I think I have this here. Hippocampus, there's another, there's another, you see exactly, there's, there's the stem that goes right to the spinal column, goes right up into there, bathes that, that brain. So it goes from the hips up to the hip, if you will. It's as above, so below in the human body. That is also known as what? They're the ram's horns. And this is where we got, of course, we talked about this when we did the, um, what was it called? The World Age Doctrine and Tribulation, that, that live stream that we did. Um, it's a trumpet, it's a horn. So when you hear the trumpet of, that, of the, you know, the great revelation, the apocalypse and all this other shit, the trumpet that gets sounded, what's that actually happening? It's the trumpet, it's the horn that's within your head. By the way, the, the woman... <laughs> anointed Mary of the marriage of the alchemical marriage that took the alabaster box, anointed Jesus with what? Pegasus, a white horse slash box of Pegasus, which is a horse. And what does hippocampus, what does hippo mean? It means horse. So you went from the hip bones and surround the sacrum and you Aries, you rose, all of that chrism all the way up to your noggin. And it was surrounded by more horses. As above, so below, right in the human vessel, okay? And then it's, it's called the, you know, it's the hippocampus. And I mean, it looks like a seahorse. Of course, the, the sea is the ocean above, if you will. Water's above, water's below, if you will. And once again, there's the, the pegasus. It's the horse, okay? Now it says this, once again, uh, Jesus sat down with the twelve. He sat down with the twelve. T-W-E-L-V-E, seven four five two five five. This equals twenty-eight. What is that? That's your hands. That's the triangulation of the number seven. He sat down with what? Uh, it was right within him. The, it was the. It's the twelve houses of the zodiac. That was right within him. Okay. Everybody get that? <sighs> 26, 21. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. There's always one. There's always one bad apple. Right? And they were exceedingly sorrowful. The rest of the disciples were sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? Did I do it? Am I the one that fucked it all up, man? And what is this? This is self-doubt in the face of the divine. And you're going to see all the disciples had it, actually. But that's part of the story. It needs to happen. Once again, it's, it's a cosmic truth. So what is this? Well, this is what everybody has. Even your pastor. <laughs> you know, self-doubt in the face of recognizing your own divinity. Recognizing that, oh, isn't it written in your law? I said you're gods. 
So these disciples, even though they're dining with the master and they're the last supper, these are the last people. They're going to they're have the last meal with Christ. And then he's like, well, one of you going to betray. And then they're all like, oh, is it me? That's called self-doubt. That's something you're going to have to overcome, of course. Then it says this, unbelievably cryptic. And once I point it out to you, you'd be like, okay, I think that makes sense. Let me give it a shot. 26, 23, and he answered and said, he that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. So he's saying, hey, there's one, there's one guy that dipped his hand with me in the dish, and that's the guy that's going to betray me. Now, the problem with that is in even Bible questions, got, I think it's got BibleQuestions.com is what this is. Even they'll tell you that that's a ridiculous thing because, well, uh, it says here, sharing a common bowl in this way was a picture of hospitality and fellowship, just like if you share a, a bowl of grass or whatever, right? In saying this, Jesus made the point that the one who will betray him had shared closeness and intimacy with him, one who should have been a true friend. Now, the problem with this is even BibleQuestions.org tells you that, in truth, though, that this is a non-answer because since every one of the disciples at some point dipped their hand into the same dish that Jesus had used. So what does this say one way? Well, at, at any point, you could be the one that betrays the Christ within you. There's that. You could be the one to do that. But beyond that, it's saying, well, obviously there's a different meaning. If they all dip their hand in the dish, then how do we point out who's Judas Iscariot? Well, what's the dish? Well, if we already know where we are in the stars, the dish is pretty, pretty, un, you know, it's pretty easy to see. And I think we all know it. It's the Big Dipper. It's literally known as the saucepan, the Big Dipper, the dish, the plow, the great wagon. It's got a ton of different you know, the asterism of the Big Dipper, which is part of Ursa Major, has a ton of different references, right? But why is he referencing, why is Jesus specifically referencing the dish right here and referencing Judas Iscariot, the guy that's going to betray him? Well, because this dish is, this Big Dipper is known as the boar, the bear, it's Ursa Major, right? And that's a bear, a, a male bear is called a boar. What's a boar? It's a pig, it's a swine. In fact, in other parts of the Bible, we've talked about this before, there's, this place is referenced, and it's specifically referencing the swine. There's an old, um, there's a Greek myth, it's Hercules that's chasing the boar, the big pig, the great beast around the mountain, okay? And you can even see, that's what the, Caiaphas is Hercules, and there's that sort of thing, right? And he's chasing the, the Ursa Major, the big bear or boar around the mountain. This is what? What does it reference? Swine. Swine. Okay? So that dish is representing, oh, this was the swine. This is the guy that Judas. Okay? And this is the dish. And this is actually, when you look at, um, this is what Jesus said specifically. And this is exact. He's, he's preaching masonry here. <laughs> That's exactly what he's doing. Give not that which is, whole, is holy unto the dogs. Because if you give it unto the dogs, you're gonna, it's, you know, you're gonna, you get screwed over. You're gonna get betrayed. That's exactly what he says. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. That's exactly what Judas Iscariot did. He turned again. He was supposed to be a friend. Turn again and rended him, if you will. What are the dogs? The dogs are Canis Major, Canis Minor. What's the swine? It's Ursa Major. Why is Ursa Major considered a swine? In this sense, what should you always be eating from, right? Well, the bread of life. 
Okay, and then we're going to understand that that's Virgo. But what is what is that? Where's your? It's your spirit. Your ultimately it represents your spiritual center. That's where you're supposed to be getting your your nourishment and your sustenance from. Not just off center, if you will. Okay. And then it says. <clears throat> 26, 24, the son of man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. This is harsh. Listen to this. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Why, why are they saying this? It would have been better for you to be, it would have been better if you not to be born than you to be born. Get so close to Christ and have Christ within your life and then betray him. But why is this punishment so great? Because he knew of the Lord and he still turned his back. Okay. In other words, in other words, Judas walked with Christ and sold him out. Judas just put himself further back in the spiritual process of reincarnation on earth. What is this whole thing about? It's about getting off the wheel of fortune, wheel of fate, wheel of karma, is to literally have your last supper with the 12 disciples of your body to, so that you can head up and dine and eat the fruit of the vine and you know play the harps with Moses and Jesus up out of this thing, okay? If you, you basically what is he saying? Judas got so close to Christ and he was so close to it, now he's going to be set back in his process of reincarnation a thousand times. There's in, in this sense he's going to he's going to have to live a hundred more lives because you got that close to Christ to the point where you almost squared the circle. You almost trans, transmutated your soul. But you sold it out for money. It would have been better if you would have not even lived this life because then your process of reincarnation wouldn't have been so tarnished. Think about it. This is, talk about um, the Matrix, right? This is Cypher in the Matrix. Cypher in the Matrix. Notice his name is Cypher. He knew. He knew, in this sort of sense, he knew the codes. He knew the truth. But what did Cypher do? He Jewed. Uh, and the characters are named what? Neo, which is an anagram for one, and his partner, Trinity. I mean, is it, can it get any more blatant, right? He's like, no, nah, I'm going to go eat that steak. Tastes all the same, right? That's why it would have been better if he would have never been born, okay? Oh, wait, I want to make sure I didn't miss anything. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I, yes. And then, 26, 25, then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. In other words, yes. 26, 26, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed... For many, for the remissions of sins. Okay, let's talk about this. Now he's he's sharing bread and he's sharing a cup, correct? Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples, body. And then he took a cup. Okay, astrological. It's all astrological. What's the bread? Well, it's Virgo. It's the house of bread. It's the house of, right? It's the shaft of Virgo is carrying the shaft of wheat. Um, Spica, I think, means shaft of wheat, which is the brightest star in Virgo. Of course, it's, the, you know, the house of bread. That's, you know, of course, that's what it is. And what does Virgo represent? Purity. So he's handing out just as the, the, the white pure box of oil, ointment that was poured over his head. What It's that purity. That's what virginity represents. Purity. Okay. 
What's the dish? Well, as we know, it Virgo, by the way, you can even see there's there's a the path of the big dipper. It leads right to it. So you see that that dotted line? What that's showing is that those three main stars of the Big Dipper lead to, um, what is it, Arcturus, which is the main star in Bootes, and then also leads to Spica. So it's a way for you to identify these stars. And then what are they? They're directly linked into the story. There's the dish, the Big Dipper. Where's the bread? Or it's the cup, if you will. It's the dish. What's? Uh, I'm sorry, that's the dish. The, uh, the cup is, is something else. I'll show you in just a second. Sorry, this <laughs> I did that wrong. I said that incorrectly. But... So there's the there's the Virgo. What is the cup? The cup is is Crater. And I'll show you this in just a second. Crater is a small constellation in the southern celestial hemisphere. Its name is Latinization for the type of cup, and it's used to water down wine. So, and that's it's a large bowl from which red wine was mixed. Okay. It's a kind of ship as well. Okay. So here's the there's the Virgo. So this is Jesus establishing the New Testament. We're eating of his, his body and drinking of his blood. And we'll talk about that in just a second. And it's all constellational. The crater, there's the cup in which Jesus was drinking from. There's the bread, Virgo, the house of bread in which he was sharing. And where is right below both of those? Well, there's the southern crux or the cross. And that appears when? When Jesus, of course, is um, born. We've talked about that. We'll get into that next chapter as well. So there, there it is. He's passing the cup around and he's passing the bread around and he's like, you're all going to eat, you know, eat and drink from this and then, you know, this will be the New Testament and you're sharing my body and my blood. Okay. He's breaking the bread. First, let's get into this. He's breaking the bread. What is he actually doing? When Jesus breaks bread, is he, is he dividing that bread or what is he doing? No, he's multiplying the, the, the power and light of himself and giving it out to his disciples. And saying, this, this bread that I'm sharing with, and it even says the cup that I'm drinking from, that baptized with and all that other stuff, it's now you. What, what is actually happening here? This is fractal. This is where, oh, that little piece of bread, and this is the exact same thing that they tell in, in several other stories when it talks about Jesus breaking the bread and feeding 5,000. How do you take one piece of bread or a couple loaves of bread or whatever it is and then feed 5,000 people? How do you do that? Well, you can't divide it. It must be multiplied. Otherwise, they would not have enough sustenance for those people to eat. Correct? Correct. So when you when he breaks the bread, he's not dividing that bread. He's multiplying that love. He's multiplying that light. He's multiplying that 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 truth, if you will, and giving it out to the disciples, handing it out. When you break bread, Break actually comes from the word, um, the term, in fact, fractal, the modern term fractal. I don't know if this is just coincidence or not. I think we all understand there's no coincidences. The term fractal, it literally means to break or fractured. And that's exactly what Jesus does with the bread. He breaks it, but he does not divide it. He ultimately multiplies it. And you know, with, fra with fractals, what is? The small is in, you know, the part is in the whole, the whole is in the part. So whatever piece of bread that those that... Whatever piece of bread that you eat, if you will, that, that Jesus Christ gives to you is what? You're, you're, the whole is in that part. Okay? He broke the bread. Break is also what? It's a mechanical device for arresting the motion of a wheel. <laughs> and what is, what is this whole thing? The whole process of transmutation of the soul is what? To get off the wheel of fortune and wheel of karma. 
to stop that thing from spinning and get into the still point in the center of Polaris. So he's breaking. He's having the last supper with the disciples because what is Jesus representing? He's going up and out of this bitch. Okay? When we talk about eating, and it'll even go on to say, the blood is not actually the blood. He even says, the next time you drink from this, it'll be the fruit from the vine. So obviously it's all symbolic. And I'll show you what the body of Christ is. Okay? But this is when Jesus is giving us to eat and drink the body and blood of Christ. We become one with Christ. We, we share the same lineage. We share this. We're now part of the lineage of Christ. We're sharing the blood. We're sharing in and and the and the 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 body the you know the body and blood is obviously it's symbolic of spiritual sustenance of course but we are becoming part of the bloodline of Christ now. This is actual apostolic succession. <laughs> you know, guys, we talked about this numerous times. Apostolic succession is the method whereby the ministry of the Christian church is considered by some Christian denominations to be derived from the apostles by a continuous succession, which has usually been associated with the claim that the succession is through a series of bishops. And these bishops, they come from the Orthodox Church. No, it's from the Latter-day Saints and blah, 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 blah. And so there's, you know, the Orthodox, they go crazy with this and they literally believe it because they're a bunch of retards. I hate to say it, but Jesus, Lord, right? No, we are proof of apostolic succession because we share in the blood of Christ. This is why he shed that blood. Shed, we immediately say, oh, this, he, he, he spilled blood on the ground and blood poured from his body. No, he shed it because he, in this sort of sense, he broke the bread and he multiplied that and gave it out to his people, his disciples, who were what? Going to be taking up their cross, denying themselves and following him and going and trying to square that circle. Going for that, and that you know, um, to uh, undergo that anointment. Okay? <clears throat> and remission of sins, this is the cancellation of debt, charge, or penalty. It's forgiveness of sins. And so this is exactly what his whole process is doing. I have to do this. This has to be done. It's based on the Son. And it's all about what? Death and resurrection. So you can die to the old self, get rid of the old sins, and be reborn again new as a being of Christ. Okay. And then he even says, after, because this is the Last Supper, so the next time that we drink or dine with Christ is going to be where? Is it going to be on earth? No, it's going to be up and out of the entire thing. It's going to be in paradise. That's where we'll be dining with Christ again. Okay. Um, and he's not going to have a bucket of KFC up there, I'm assuming. So, 26, 29, but I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So that's our reward. We'll be up there, if you will, with, the, with Christ and we'll be dining, having a, having a ball, feasting, okay? And we'll get, and I'll get into the whole, um, the body in just a second, Okay. He says, what does it mean to share the body of Christ? What does that mean? I'll show you, okay? So that's what that's referencing. So the blood now is, is it's, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine. So now it's, the blood is fruit of the vine. What is fruit, of course? It's spiritual fruits. What is the vine? I am the vine, the tree. You know, we all know that. We don't even have to get into that. Of course, that leads right to Christ. The tree, the vine, all of that sort of stuff, right? We don't need to get into that. But, um, but I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth this fruit of this vine until we drink the Father's kingdom. 2630, and when they had sung in hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives, okay? 
What is a hymn? First off, the hymn is, is a religious song. Obviously, we know it's a song of praise. It's a song of raise. Look at praise and raise. It's a song of rising. It's a song of Aries. It's a song of rising that oil up your spinal column, right? To sing, of course, when we talk about um, the harps, harping in heaven, and we talk about this as Orpheus, and Orpheus was a representation of the word. It was the song that he sung across the entire universe, the music of the spheres, if you will, in which everything danced to, everything moved to, right? This is what the hymn is. H-Y-M-N is almost phonetically identical to what? Is, is phonetically identical, right, to what? Hymn. So we're singing a praise of him, a hymn, to raise what? Him within you. And we're singing, and possibly a variant of <clears throat> a wedding song. <laughs> a hymen, Greek god of marriage. And what did, we, what did Jesus just undergo? Squaring the circle, the alchemical marriage. That's exactly what happened. They sang the praise of him. They raised him up and then they went to the Mount of Olives. And what is the Mount of Olives? That's the place, of course, where the, it's the Judean desert to the east. It's the place from which Jesus the Messiah ascended into heaven. That's Polaris. Okay? And as we know, Pol Polaris represents the point in our cosmology, the still point not the rotating, constantly whipping around zodiac that's constantly in movement, constantly in motion, that's keeping on that wheel of fortune, wheel of fate, wheel of karma. No, it's the still point in the center, and that's where Jesus is going. And that's exactly where they say he's going. Polaris represents the point in our cosmology where the soul travels up and out of the firmament and into total unity with the big kahuna upstairs. Okay, guys, we're going to do, uh, we're going to pass the basket around. And if you would like to support the fine work that we do here at the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, you can by uh, sending us a letter or uh, a donation or anything like that. Gnostic Academy, 7781 County Road, 3440 Mountain View, Missouri, 65548. And we also have ways to donate uh, portals like PayPal, uh, Venmo, Buy Me a Coffee, Cash App, uh, and you can become a good bird at Subscribestar. So... And we thank all the good birds, and we thank everybody that does support the fine work that we're doing. I changed the strings on my guitar after about eight months.
thank you everybody for joining us back at the Sunday sermons and we're back at it. We're going to be doing this every Sunday, so come back. And we appreciate everybody that does support us and allows us to keep going. We'd like to keep doing this, and we think it's a good service. We know it's a good service. We know it's worth your time, and so we appreciate everybody that does uh, support. Okay, let's move on, and then we're going to talk about the body that we share with Christ. And if he represents the cosmic order and represents the entirety of the whole thing, if you will, we're going to, rep- we're going to see that that body is... Um, Can you shut that off? It's, I think it's my phone. Um, thank you, my darling. The, the body is, as we're going to see, it's the entire, it's the entire universe. We're sharing. We're, we're a fractal piece of the entire universe. And that's exactly what the Zodiac Man says. Okay? So let's keep moving on. So um, we ended with, oh, Jesus was heading up to the Mount of Olives. The uh, olive is, of course, where we get the olive oil right? Of oil actually comes from olives. That's where, that's where the, the etymology comes from. So we're heading up the Mount of Olives. Oh, live eternally in the Mount of Olives, which is the mountain, which is in the center of our cosmos, which leads up to Polaris. And that's where we ended before I played my little tune. Then we get back, and this is what Jesus says, 2631. Then saith Jesus unto them, all ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Okay? <laughs> okay. Let's, i got to show you this. It's just insane. Let's read this again. This is exactly what Jesus says. And then we're going to look at the math of this, and it's fucking crazy. 2631, Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite this shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. The shepherd gets smited, gets betrayed, gets all of that sort of stuff, and then the sheep scatter. In this sort of sense, the disciples scatter, and that's exactly what happens in the story. Why did the disciples scatter? We'll get to that. This is the math of of exactly what Jesus says. All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. This equals the gematria. Watch this. The gematria total is 504. I keep saying all this stuff has to do with the hands. Then we show you the math of the hands to, to, to prove that out, right? 504 is nothing more than 5,040 divided by 10. How do you get 5,040? Your hands. We added 1 through 7 to equal 28. There's your 28 phalanges. You multiply 1 through 7 to get 5,040. All based on 7. So 1, 2, 3, 1 times 2 times 3 times 4 times 5 times 6 times 7 is 5,040. You divide that by the 10 fingers of your hands, if you will, and what do you get? 504. Okay, and this is exactly what Jesus says. Now, so that's all based on your hands, which is based on the number seven. Everybody get this, right? One through seven, multiply 5,040 divided by 10, 504. This is the vowels of the, or this is the consonants, excuse me, of that verse. All you should be offended because of this knife, for it is written, it will smite the shepherd, blah, 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 blah. This is the consonants. That equals 343. 343. All absolutely encrypted and encoded. What is 343? It's 7 times 7 times 7. Absolute. Next level. Freaking genius. Okay? This is what Jesus says. 504. How do you get that? Multiply 1 through 7 divided by 10. You take away the vowels and what do you get? You smite the shepherd, 
right? The whole bit, 343, what is that? It's seven times seven times seven. It's all about seven. It's all about seven. Let me see if I can find this quick. Give me one second. This is W.L. Wilmhurst, and this is what he says about the number seven. Mason, he was a Mason. The candidate's first investure with the apron is a symbolic, is symbolic, therefore, of his ego's entrance into this world, and be excuse me, and becoming clothed with former body. Okay, and that's what happens with you. You're a soul, right? That gets sent down here. That gets clothed with a body. He is meant to realize himself as a sevenfold being, perfectly constituted originally in the divine mind. Amen. His triangle of spirit combined with the quadrangle of the materialized form to make up the perfect number seven. What is this? This is exactly, in this sense, squaring the circle, it's the whole bit. This is Rebus. This is Rebus. This is the alchemical marriage. This is the compasses and square merging those two. This is the man and woman merging those two. The sun and moon. This is exactly what's going on in the story. Exactly what's happening in the story right now. It's an alchemical book. Merging the sun and the moon. Merging the circle and the square. Merging the heaven and earth. Conquering the dragon. What's below on that, um, you know, the, the winged disc, if you will. It's the three and the four. He is meant to realize that he has descended to a condition of embodiment and limitation of consciousness for the purpose of acquiring experience in those conditions and of performing certain work upon himself which shall raise him to full realization of his own ultimate nature and of the divine purpose in him and that though his present state or form is one of restrictedness and humiliation, it will never disgrace him if he never disgraces it. And this is why we get so harsh against the people that are like, this is a prison. This is a trap. No. You're disgracing God's creation. You're disgracing the form that he gave you in order for you to undergo the good work, the great work. Okay? That, the number seven, is all within that verse. Multiple ways they show you with that. Okay? Now, the question is, He's saying that's like in the prophecy, it says in the Old Testament that, hey, it's going to be going to smite the shepherd, the Messiah, and then all, the, the, all the, the, the sheep, right? The disciples are going to scatter. Okay, well, why did the disciples scatter? Why does this have to happen? In this sort of sense, why does Jesus have to go it alone? We'll cover this again. But why did the disciples flee? Why could there have been nobody with Jesus when he went up into, you know, to death and resurrection, if you will? Why could none of the disciples follow Christ to death? Why did they all quote-unquote scatter? Because Jesus was transcending the wheel of fortune, fate, and karma. They had to. Nobody could go with him because he was transcending all of the houses. He had undergone all of the disciplines that we need to go through, the 12 labors of Hercules, if you will. They all had to scatter. They couldn't go with him. There was only one that wanted to go, that actually followed him, as we'll find out, is Peter, which is Ares. And that makes sense. But he didn't go with him. And we'll get back to that. But that's why they scatter, because you'd be like, wow, God, the disciples are all cowards. Why didn't they go with them, you bunch of pansies? Because it's a story of astrology. Okay, now, let's go. Now, check this out. This gets into the body and the blood and all this other shit, right? But at, then it says 2632. But after I'm, I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Okay. 
I'll go before, after I'm risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. He just went to what? The Mount of Olives. They were just at the Mount of Olives. Not two verses ago or whatever. Then he's like, hey, if I, when I come with you again, I'll meet you in Galilee. Where's Galilee? Galilee's in the stars, of course. Galilee, what does gal mean? Gal comes from a gale force wind. It's a mad, frantic wind, a bewitched wind. And a lee is on the side of a ship which is sheltered from the wind, as to be under the lee of a ship. Leeward is also the opposite direction to which the wind is currently blowing. Okay, so the Galilee, where is he? Well, there's the cross right there. There's a, fa there's a false cross right there too as well. That's a false prophet in Revelation. We won't get to that. But so there's a, uh, there, all, Galilee also means to roll, to encircle. It means region or rolling. Well, this is at the, this is at the, uh, the south side. This is the southern hemisphere. And I'll show you this in just a second. Okay. And what is there is the big ship of Argo Navis. And what is there is a big sail. And what is, of course, what it's on the other side of that. Okay. Because it's what? It's sheltered from the wind as to be under the lee of a ship. Okay. So Vela is the big sails of that ship. And so he's on the other side of that, which is representing essentially what? He's in the middle. He's in the bottom. Right. He's um, rolling to roll and circle. That's exactly what the stars are doing. They're rolling and encircling. Okay. So he went from Polaris, he went up to the Mount of Olives, and he's risen again, and then he's going to meet you guys in Galilee. Okay? Let's look at this. So he went up to the Mount of Olives, which is Polaris, and then after he rose again, he's going to meet you down by Vela, which is, right, which is the, 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 the sails of the ship. He's going to be protected, if you will. He's going to meet you down south there. What is this? He rose up through Polaris, which is in the north, and then came back down to the south. This is the human Taurus. <laughs> that's exactly what the energy of your body does. That's exactly what the, the, the spinal fluid does. It goes up, and then I'll meet you back down in the sacrum. You know, people talk about that the, 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 our cosmology is probably toroidal. I'm, you know, it makes total sense to me, you know, that sort of thing. We are, we know that human, you know, the energy field around the human being is toroidal. Okay. We can go into that all day long. We're not going to, but so this is what, so what is the body of Christ? It's the whole thing. And so we fractally now have eaten part of the body, which what represents that we are a representation of the whole thing. Our small little chunk represents the whole goes up. When I rise again, I'll meet you back down the southern celestial pole. I'm going to go up the Mount of Olives, and then we're going to meet you down in Galilee. And that's exactly what the human Taurus does. The toroidal, the toroidal field around the human does. Why did Christ, so once again, the, 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 the sheep all scattered, right? The flock shall scatter, but after I'm risen again, I'll go before you into Galilee. And then Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet I will never be offended. And then Jesus says, hey, I'll, I'll get into that in a second. But why did Jesus have to go alone? Because he is setting the template for us, okay? Jesus had to go it alone. He couldn't bring any of the other disciples with him because, you know, we're shedding the, the wheel of fortune, wheel of karma, that sort of thing, the wheel of fate, if you will. But also, what he's teaching us is that you have to be an autodidact. 
Now, do you actually ever go it alone? No, because Christ has already went and he's going to be with us on that journey. So you never actually go it alone, but you can't go to a guru or a master or freaking brother Marty Leeds for your salvation. You have to be, you have to be a self-taught person. You have to do it yourself. Okay. And this is what masonry actually teaches you. Masonry, this is one of the key components of masonry. They tell you, it's like, you have to be a self-taught person. They even say, in our second degree, we are implored to become ceaseless autodidacts, to learn music, grammar, logic, and geometry, the seven classic liberal arts, of course. Each of these disciplines, the disciples, <laughs> offers a lifetime of study and a broad and complex declination of narrower and narrower focus. Narrower and narrower focus, because you're trying to get down to that pinpoint. You're trying to find that fractal little bit within you that represents the whole. You have to undergo that. You have to do it alone. Nobody, you can get help, you can get aid, you can come to the Gnostic Church and learn a lot of stuff, but ultimately, with the spiritual journey lies on your shoulders and your shoulders alone. Masonry teaches you that. Of course, it's, once again, Christ will be with you when you do it, but you can't have physical help by someone, you know, not Pastor Bob down the street is not going to get you to heaven. An autodidact is someone who pursues knowledge of God because he genuinely wants his spiritual questions answered. He's not good enough with like, well, I guess just never find the answer, or that sounds good enough. No. He seeks a direct experience. He is in earnest. He is willing taking. He is willingly taking on the pursuit of the mysteries and is not satisfied with letting others explain God to him. He seeks to know himself, his world, and God. There's another. There was another uh, when we did. Um, I think it was in Matthew yet, yeah, where it was like there was 99 sheep that was went with the shepherd, but there was one that went away and went up the mountain. And then the shepherd had to go and was like, ah, I got to keep my sheep here, and then I got to go chase that sheep up the mountain, and then I come back, and then he loved that sheep more than any of the other ones. Why? Because that sheep was an autodidact. Because that sheep was like, um, I got to see for myself. I don't, I don't trust you. You could be one of them Jews, one of them ruffians, one of them Iscariots, if you will. Christ had to do this alone. Why? Because you must undergo your journey, your great work by yourself. You must do it. You couldn't have... Bob and Tom and Jimmy and James with him. No. Okay? So that's why the disciples scattered. It wasn't because they were cowards. It's because it's a cosmic story about yourself, your, your soul's transformation. That's an individuated thing. But of course, Peter, the head, is like, no, I'm, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to be there. It's like, no, no, you're not. No, you're not. And then he says, 26, 34, Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. We'll get to the why the cock at, at the very end. We'll get to why there's a crow, you know, crowing and all this. There's a cock crowing, if you will, all that sort of thing. We'll get to that to the end. But, of course, this is, once again, astrological. What's the crow? What's the crow? There's, um, here it is. That's Corvus. That's the constellation Corvus. That's the constellation that's right between Virgo and the cup. So you can see craters right there to the right. That's the cup. And then right to the left is Virgo. So there's a Brad that he's handing out to everybody. And there's a cup that he's passing around to everybody. And this represents the, the we are fractal, fractal nature of the whole thing. And then between that, there shows up a crow. Corvus is the name of a small constellation in the southern celestial hemisphere. Its name means crow in Latin. So, by the way, I'll meet you in Galilee, and then we, uh, this is right after we shared the bread and the cup, and then there's the crow. 
it's they're, they're all everything that's happening in the story is happening exactly in the same area of the sky. Okay. I want to make sure I didn't miss anything because sometimes I do that. Let me go back here. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, the, the cock crows three times. Why three times? I think we understand it's Trinitarian, but we'll, we'll get back to that. Peter, why is there three temptations of Christ? All that sort of thing. Peter said unto him, Thou, I should die with thee, yet I will, that I will not deny thee. Likewise said all the disciples. All of them were like, no, when the time comes, we're going to be there. No, you're not. Because it's not really about a bunch of people being there to, to try to fight and defend the Savior, which would be a noble and heroic thing to do. That's not what the story's about. In fact, because they all chickened out, that sh- and isn't it funny? Chicken, they chickened out, and there's a crow there, the cock, right? That's the thing. That's where do you think this stuff comes from, right? They chickened out. So it was like, oh, I guess all those disciples were a bunch of wusses. No, that's not what the story is about. Okay, no, we'll be there with you, Christ. No, you won't. Christ has got to go it alone, just like you do. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. I think is how you say that, and saith unto the disciples, Sit here. Sit ye here, sit on your sacrum, by your hip bone, so you can send that, raise that oil up, and praise it with the hymn all the way up to the hippocampus of the Aries, while I go and pray yonder. What is Gethsethamine? I'm sorry if I'm saying that, I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. Gethsethamine, whatever. Uh, it's a garden at the foot of the Mount of Olives, okay? And it's where Jesus Christ underwent the agony in the garden and was arrested right before his crucifixion. But Gethsemane means oil press. <laughs> you sit here on your sacrum. Guys, sit here on your sacrum where that oil goes all the way down into the, your, 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 your sexual member. And then you want to press that. You're going to want to, you're going to want to get, you know, in this sort of sense, you're going to undergo that alchemical process of distillation to get down to that, 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 uh, you know, the pure essence, if you will, that divine spirit within. And that's exactly where they are, bodily, okay? And he says, I'm going to go yonder. That's what he says. You sit here a while and pray, right? And I'm going to go yonder. What is yonder? It means he's going to go beyond. He's going to go, he's going to, he's within sight, but not near. Throughout, up to, as far as. You're sitting on your sacrum. The Christ oil is going to go up yonder. It's going to head up through your spinal column into your Aries. Okay? Twenty-six thirty-seven. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be very sorrowful and uh, began to be uh, sorrowful and very heavy. Excuse me. Okay? He took John and James, Peter... And the two sons of Zebedee, which the sons of Zebedee are John and James. We're not going to go over that today because it's, it's a whole, we've covered that in other live streams. The book of markets in scripture and the stars. There's, there's all of that sort of stuff. Um, you can just turn on the propane, baby, if you want. Um, let me show you this. So this is John and James. So the sons of Zebedee are the sons of thunders. Boanerges, bitches. That's where it comes from. The sons of Zebedee are John and James. John and James are Sagittarius and Scorpio. Okay, we know John is Scorpio. He's because of the tetramorph, and I'm not going to go into the James thing because it's there's just a lot there to cover. But we've covered it before. If you want a review of this, but so Jesus, while they're sitting there praying, he's going to go up yonder, and Peter is going to take John and James. Peter is what? Peter is Aries. 
He's the head. He's Simon Peter. He's the Petra. He's the Aries, the head, as we know him, the Zodiac man. And he's taken John and James. John and James exist where is known as the Silver Gate. Those are the Sons of Thunder. There's Zebedee. This is the Silver Gate. It's where the Silver Gate is where the, the, the Milky Way, if you will, the, the, the galactic plane, if you will, the Milky Way, crosses the ecliptic, crosses the Zodiac. And there's two places where it does this, okay? Between Gemini and Taurus and then Scorpio and Sagittarius, which is what? The Sons of Thunder, John and James. What does the Silver Gate represent? There's the two gates. Um, um, oh, I'm sorry. This is the Golden Gate. Excuse me. This is the Golden Gate. I, I said that incorrectly, but um, the Golden Gate. <clears throat> the... Um, the silver gate is formed from the horns of the bull of Taurus and the twins of Gemini during the summer solstice. And the golden gate is formed between Sagittarius and Scorpio during the winter solstice, right? And there's these two gates are said to represent two functions. The golden gate has the power to bind and loosen heaven. The silver gate has the power to bind and loose on earth. We did the Cherokee story of creation and they had the exact same ideas. If you guys remember that, the exact same ideas. Okay, so the golden gate, the golden key where John and James are, have the power to bind and loose in heaven, which is exactly what Jesus is doing, Be getting get, going up into heaven. And this is exactly where this in the story they are. Now, he said, let's go back to this. So, uh, hey, guys, you were at the oil press. Sit here while I go and pray yonder. And I'm and then he took with him Peter and the sons of Zebedee. This is exactly bodily constellationally, what is happening? <laughs> There's John and James. Where are they? They're by your sacrum. They're by your private members, if you will, your private member, if you will. That's where the oil is being pressed so that it can right, distill down alchemically so that it can rise up to your area. So Simon Peter took John and James and what? They underwent this. They're, they're, um, it's a representation of the transmutation of your, of your soul. Okay? Now, it's, so that's all right there. It's exactly what we're talking about, and it's exactly constellationally what's going on, okay? It also says this, that while this is happening, and he took with him, uh, 2637, and he took with him Peter and two of the sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And then he even says unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry here, tarry ye here, and watch with me. Watch. That's a Watch. Time is at hand. All of those references are what? A reference to the sun. What is the watch? It keeps time. Okay? He's sorrowful. Says it again. I'm exceeding sorrowful. Why? Why is it? What's Jesus? What does this represent? It represents your spiritual awakening. Was your spiritual awakening fun? Was it a fucking hoot? Did you have a laugh? No. No, you didn't. <laughs> right? Spirit like. Uh, a spirit, yes, yeah, spiritual waking can be amazing. It's like, you know, enlightening. You have all the lights go on. You can have, you know, all of these wonderful things can happen. And that will be part of your spiritual awakening. But you know what else will be part of your spiritual awakening? The absolute despair and, you know, the sorrow and recognizing all of the true evil that's been going on in your world that you didn't recognize before. So a lot of times what will happen is that, you know, people, and this is essentially like what, you know, happened to me. It's like you see this darkness, this, this constant darkness, and it's like evil, and it's just uh, the child trafficking and the murderers and the chemtrails and the, you know, the genocide campaigns and the freaking, you know, the, the, the total despots and tyrants and governments all over the world, right? And you come to become aware of that in your spiritual awakening. It sucks. It's never fun. I don't know anybody that's had a hoot doing it. Okay? 
this is like what people think a spiritual awakening is like what it's actually like. It's, you know, in some senses, a lot of times it can be a horror movie. It can be full of despair and depression and sorrowful and that sort of stuff. Okay? This is what Jesus is undergoing right now. Okay? Now, by the way, does that sorrow and depression, and when we look at this cosmically and we understand it personally, that we have a reflection of that, then we, we take these stories into the world. Well, does that, does, once again, when we look at uh, the chemtrails in the sky and the corruption of the governments and all this other shit, is it going to last? You answer for me. Does it last? Does the sun just keep going down and down and down in winter? No. What lesson are we learning here? In the face of absolute madness, absolute destruction of our world, sorrow, despair, depression, oh, there's no fucking hope. There is. It's written in the stars. It's written in Jesus' death and resurrection. 2639, and he went a little farther and fell on his face, fell on his Aries, and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. That's one of the most important lessons. It's one of the hardest ones, too, is don't, you know, do as thou will to be the whole of love. Fuck you. No, you, you want to do what God wants you to do. You, it has to be his will. If you try to make it your will, right, well, we're going we're gonna to see, like, if what's going to happen. You try to make it your will in the, coming up here. But the, 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 one of the hardest things is giving yourself up to that divine truth and trusting it and having faith in it. It's, it's, it's the hardest walk to walk. It really is. Okay? And he's saying, hey, just if, if, if it be possible, God, I'm not at telling you what to do. He's praying. And he's just like, if, if you can, let this cup pass from me if it's your will. If it's your will. If it's not, then that's fine. Okay? And he'll, and he'll go on to say that. What is the cup? What is this, what is this cup? Okay? Well, there's... Um, this is a reference, and it's a really sly reference, but it's a reference to the cupbearer, right? A cupbearer used to be this really sort of like noble, like honorable uh, um, position where in, it says here, in days gone by, uh, monarchs feared that those around them would poison their drinks, so they employed the services of a cupbearer to sample the drink first. If it was poisoned, he died, sparing the king's life. So it was a very honorable thing, right? He's like, I am going to, you know, I'll drink this. Somebody's trying to kill the king. If it was safe, he shared it in, in it, its refreshing qualities and remained in the king's presence and confidence, right? So what is this? So basically, Jesus in this role is playing the cupbearer to God, okay? Right? He's bringing the cup. What is the cup filled with? That's, of course, the, what, uh, this is, oh, well, here, let's say this. This is the cup. <laughs> this is the cup. It's the cup from, you know, it's the Holy Grail, if you will. Okay? That's the cup. It's your hands. Okay? It's ultimately, what did you fill up your cup with? Okay? Jesus is taking the entirety of human beings' sins into that cup. And what he's, what he's going to find is like, hey, he's asking, just let this pass, all these sins pass before me. But then he'll also go on to say, if I have to, I'll drink the whole thing up. I will, I will consume all of it and I will take it on myself, which is the ultimate sacrifice, which is once again, when you look at a spiritual awakening and all that sort of stuff, what is it all about? Is it about you? No, it's about sacrificing for others. It's about helping others. It's about doing things for others. Okay. So he's the cupbearer for God. The cup, and there's, there's tons of different references. I'm just going to give you a few to let you, you know, let the Bible speak for the cup and what is what its actual meaning is. For you may clean the outside. The Pharisees and the hypocrites, what did they do? 
those bastards. They're living underground soil and mattresses, and then they're making clean the outside of the cup. They're not, they're not, they're not concerned with what's being put inside of the cup. They're just making sure the outside of the cup is all flashy and shiny. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The Lord is your inheritance in your cup. So then you have this spirit, you have this Lord, you have this portion of the divine within you. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to fill it with? Jesus is saying, well, the, at the time, right, and currently as well, right, that humanity is filling it up with a gargantuan amount of sinning. And he's like, I'll take it on, God. I'll take all of that pain and suffering on through me. This is the atlas bone, the atlas bone in your spinal column. What is the atlas? I don't have the graphic, but it's somebody who has the weight of the world on his shoulders. Get it? Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over, Psalm 23, 5 says. Okay. So this cup, this cup, it's basically asking when, it, when you talk about the cup, it's like, what's in your cup? In this life, what did you fill it with? Are you polishing its outside? Are you making it look all shiny? <laughs> is it full of poison? This is the question you need to ask upon your death. Would you be willing to hand what's in your cup to the king? You look back at your life. What did you fill your life with? Okay. So, and uh, I want to make sure I didn't miss anything. Excuse me. Excuse me. Oh, yes. Then he goes on to say, hey, if, if God, if it's your will, only if it's your will, if it's possible, let it pass before me. But then he also says, um, if, if you want, if I have to drink it, uh, it will. But he'll say that in just a second. So 2640 says, and he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. Why? Because they're not awake. Why? Because Jesus is the one that's awake. Right? Jesus is the one who's setting the template for the process of awakening. And he has to shed the disciples. He has to shed the, the, the wheel of fortune. So what are they? They're asleep. And then, and he saith unto Peter, he's like, hey man, you couldn't watch with me one hour? The sun is telling about a watch and time and then hour, which is a reference to Horus. All astrological. Every bit of it. Now, what, what is this, what is the notion? This is a reference to other things before. It's like, oh, while, you know, while, while, um, basically, uh, people were away, this is when Jesus came because you were not paying attention, right? Then he says this, what, there's, there's more math here and then we'll get back into the cup there. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's saying that lots of people have a, a great spirit, but ultimately what's down here is because that tiny, 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 tiny bit, that little divine spark is completely enshrouded in a flesh vehicle. The flesh a lot of times takes precedence. This happens in marriages all the time where it's like, oh, I love this person and this stuff. Look, but then the, the husband or the wife, they have that one moment where they got real weak, where they, they actually thought with their dick or their vagina as opposed to their heart. Because the flesh is weak. Okay? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Let's, uh, let's watch this. Let's see this. This is, um, this is what it says here. It says, watch and pray, 2641. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation, and the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That just so happens to equal, once again, three, four, five. It's a cosmic truth. It's a cosmic truth. One out of 12 are going to screw you over. The other are going to scatter. And what, what happens? It's like it's in the going gets tough, you know? said it for you man when the going gets tough a lot of times people will scatter a lot of times if you want something done right you got to do it yourself that sort of thing right okay so watch and pray this is part of the cosmic law just like as the son of man must be betrayed so that he can die and be reborn so that template could be set for your spiritual rebirth the same thing this is what happens down here the flesh is weak a lot of times we're like, oh, I'll do that. But when it comes time, when it when it comes time to the, you know, when it, when it comes time to put up or shut up, a lot of people shut up, and we we see it now. You know how many people I know that are flat earthers, but they don't talk about it. That they know about all, all these lies, but they don't want to talk about it. It's because your flesh is weak. You're living in the flesh and not the spirit. Um, the 26, 42, he went away again for the second time and prayed saying, Oh father, if this cup may not pass away from me, if you're not going to pass this cup, except I drink it, they'll be done. If I have to take all of the sins of humanity within me, I'll do it. I will do that for you, God. And then the next line is 2643, and he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Again, he was like, oh, well, I, this is when Christ shows up, when you're not paying attention. What is he saying? Pay attention. Watch. Watch the sun. The time is always when? At hand. Christ is always when? In the present. And then he left them, uh, and he left them again, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Saying basically saying, hey, Father, if I got if I have to drink up all if if take within me and purify within my vessel all the sins of humanity, so that they will have that template, so that from now on they can walk in righteousness, I'll do it. That's how dedicated I am to you, God. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words, of course. Okay. So, and then come to the disciples, 2645. And saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of the sinner. <clears throat> so finally, when Christ, is, Christ shows up, he's like, okay, now you can sleep. <laughs> right? Sleep on, sleep on now, and take your rest. Um, but the, the hour is at hand. Again, a reference to the time, the hands, the uh, everything, right? And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. What is he saying? Just like this could happen in any house. Just like this happens in any house. It could happen in your house. It happens in your house. What is he saying? Where is the Son of Man? The Son of Man is the light, is the divine spark within you. Where is that light betrayed? What did, what did Judas do? He betrayed himself. They made sure you understood it mathematically. The Son of Man was betrayed into the hands of men. The hands of sinners. And that's who betrays Christ. You. When we go against the will of God, what are we doing? We're betraying Christ. We're betraying God. Who has the who has the opportunity? Who has the consciousness? Who has the free will to do such? You. That's part of the makeup of our heaven and earth here, of, of earth here. When God made this place, 
It's written in cosmic law, three, four, five. This is how it's going to be. You're given that opportunity so that you can surmount that. Okay. 2645, right? Then come to the disciples and say, the hours at hand, son of man, betrayed into the hands of sinners. And then the next thing he says is, 2646, rise, rise. Aries, arise. Praise him. Let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. <laughs> always, the betrayer is always at hand. Because it always, there's always the potentiality of man, of the sinner, denying his own or, or selling out his own soul. Pretty much everybody in Hollywood does it. So, now the next line says, 2647, And while he spake, while the word was speaking, lo, Judas, that Jewed everybody, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the elders of the people. So Judas and a pack of Jews, if you will, <laughs> Uh, they came down and with swords and staves. So most people would be like, that's what that's what the imagery is in your head, right? There's swords, they got pitchforks and like, you know, you know, uh, flames and shit like that. And they got hammers and staffs and they're going to go pounce on Jesus, right? That's the imagery that they're giving you in the story, right? It's a, essentially a mob attack. Mob rules. If you listen to fools, the mob rules. That's right. I'm singing Black Sabbath in a freaking church service. But so that's what, that's what you get. That's the imagery. But that's really not what they're referencing here. What they're referencing is, is what? What's the stave? What's the, a stave is a staff. In fact, here's a staff. A stave is a vertical wood post or plank in a building or other structure. Another term for a staff. That's what it is. A stave, and it's, of course, it's musical. There's musical staff or whatever. But uh, when they say this, um, the swords and the staves they took up, what's the staff? Well, that's the, that's the scepter. That's the wand. That's the shepherd's crook. That's the staff. That's a representation of what? Your spinal column. Your spiritual center, if you will. Okay, so here they're saying, hey, all of these Jews came with swords and staves to try to kill Christ. What is this? The sword is what? The sword is the sword of the spirit. It's, it's the cross of the matter that, you know, it's the cross of matter that, that uh, matter that, that is uh, in the human being, right? The sword of the spirit represents your spirit. What is the stave? It represents your staff, your spinal column, your spiritual center. So what are they doing? What, are the, what, is, what is the ultimate story here? Is that these people hated the truth so much that they were going to use all of their, their spiritual essence, if you will, their spiritual centers to try to, what, plot against Jesus, to destroy that light. Okay? So it's not just like, ah, oh, it's just a mob. No, no, no. There's a spiritual, esoteric, or mystical meaning to that. Okay? With swords and staves, with their spiritual centers, they came and tried to snuff out the light of the world. Do you think they, do you think they were successful? No, we know the story. We know the story. Okay. So then, so now that he betrayed him, uh, now he that, excuse me, 2648, now he that betrayed him gave them a sign. Sign is, a, of course, a reference to um, constellations or a zodiac, as my dog is hacking up, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And of course, this is your classic. This is the Judas kiss. <laughs>
Yes, Billy Ocean and Metallica in the same service. Yes, this is the famous Judas Kiss, of course. And um, why? So why did they? Why did Judas, who was one of the twelve originally, who learned from Jesus, who sat at his knee, who was with him every day in the temple, learning from him, right? He knew Christ, and his one of his great, the greatest punishment that he could have is like, ah, you might, must, you might as well never have been born, okay? Why did he have to, why did Judas have to go kiss Christ so that they could identify him? Why did Judas have to kiss, which is one of the most intimate things you can do? What is he doing? He's kissing, he's using his pie, his mouth, to kiss what? The, 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 literally the word, see the symbolism here. Why did Judas have to kiss Jesus to identify him? Because his murderers could not see Christ within. Think, think about the story. At this point in the story, we're at the end of Matthew. He's already been all over the frickin' world. He's been teaching everywhere. Everybody knows about him. The chief priests and the scribes, even they even say they're like, um, you know, it's like, oh, we can't kill him because there's going to be an uproar of the people. So all of these people knew Christ was there. They knew about his, his um, ministry. They knew about his power. They knew that he was a divine being. But for some reason, the story says, oh, we need to send this Judas guy to go kiss him and then we can identify him. What's the mystical meaning? They were devoid in their soul. They had sold themselves out. They were working against humanity. So what? They couldn't identify Christ. They couldn't, they couldn't see him if he gave him a thousand eyes. So they had to send a ruffian. They had to send one of them Jews. And forthwith, he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. So he just lied to him. He's like, ah, oh, right? Okay, let's move on. And uh, 2650, and Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Okay, and so this is obviously the, this is the ultimate betrayal, right? And of course, what, who betrays him? Cancer, right? This is where the sun starts going down and dies. He's, and, and he falls 14 times, or there's 14 stations of the cross, and it falls how many times? Three times, right? And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand. He stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Why did this guy smote, cut the ear off of, of this dude, right? Number one, what is the ear? It's, it's how you hear the word. Okay, so there's obviously lots of symbolism there. He took out, he took his hand and he took out the sword of his spirit, if you will, and then cut the ear off of this high priest that could not hear the word. He couldn't even see the word, right? They had to identify him. And now this is a heroic act. In any other situation, this would be a heroic act. The master, this, 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 you know, master guy who's completely innocent is all of a sudden accosted by a whole bunch of a mob of people and then the most heroic thing you could do would be like, no, stop, I am going to release him, right? Everybody and their brother would be like, yeah, that's, a, that's literally the definition of heroism, right? But then Jesus says, no, that, no, that's not cool, man. Now, most people think that this is like pacifism, and this is the problem. It's like, no, look, he's, you know, this is not what this is about. Then Jesus said unto him, 2652, put up again thy sword into his place, which is basically put it back into your sheath, take your sword and put it back into your sheath, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. What, 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 does he mean? what does he mean? This guy, what is, he's trying to stop the inevitable. He's trying to stop cosmic order. He's trying to stop the very process 
of spiritual death and rebirth that's happening, that Christ is representing, he's trying to stop that. And what is he ultimately doing? The, once again, the deep mysticism behind this. The man that tried to deny, this man tried to deny, excuse me, this man tried to deny the inevitable. There has to be a death before there's a rebirth. There has to be a darkness in order to understand the light. That's just how it works. He had an inability to face reality, is what this is representing. With anger and violence, he tried to change the quote-unquote course of the sun. He tried to manipulate cosmic law with his own free will. Do you think that works? No. Jesus is telling him, no. If you try to do that, you're, the very spirit that you're using to try to do that, you'll be crushed by it. This guy refused the darkness because that's what it's representing right now. Cancer sold him out. There's a mob of people. They're bringing him into the darkness. He's trying to refuse the darkness. He's like, no, Jesus is just going to keep going up and up and up and up and up forever. No, no. This guy refused the darkness. He tried to prevent Jesus' death. And if he, if he would have prevented Jesus' death, there would be no resurrection. Then there would be no spiritual process for, under, for us to undergo, for us to understand. Okay? Thinkest thou that I cannot now... And then this is what he says. To back up exactly what I'm saying, these next two verses, this is exactly what he tells the dude. He's like, dude, 26.53, thinkest thou that I cannot... Now pray to my father, and he shall presently, excuse me, let me say this again, 2653. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? 2654. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled, that thus it must be? You're trying to stop the prophecy from being fulfilled. You're trying to stop that from, right? Well, um, here, let's, I'm sorry, let's, what is the 12 legion of angels? It's the 12 houses of the angles of light. That's what it is. A legion is many. How many angles or angels of light are in each house? Well, there's 30 degrees. There's like an infinite amount, if you will, of angles that the, the sun travels through in those. But in this sort of sense, there's 30 degrees. So there's many angles of light within each house. And then there's 12 of them. The 12 legion of angels. So this is what he's saying. So he says, thinkest thou that I cannot, I'm going to pray to my father and somehow there's going to be 14 houses of the Zodiac. No, no, that's not how it works. Do you really think he's saying this? Do you really think if I pray more, there's just going to end up being, no, there's no, there's no more than 12 legions of angels. And that's how it's got to be. And that's how it's written in the stars. That's how it's written in you. And that's how it's got to be. Don't deny it. Don't deny your your process of coming to earth and undergoing those disciplines and undergoing that darkness and having to face the evil and the suffering in this world. Don't deny it. Don't try to escape it. And that's what, that's what most quote-unquote Gnostics that are online now is full of shit. They try to do all the time. It's escapism. You're, Jesus is absolutely lambasting those people right now. How the scripture is going to be fulfilled unless the sun travels through those 12 houses of the Zodiac. It's got to happen. Why and and this this is the this leads right to the the notion of of why is it called rebirth? Why is coming to Christ called being reborn? Because there has to be a process of of you know where the soul, where the soul, your own soul is betrayed, if you will, right? Where there, you're, you you where you betray your own soul, where you live a life of sin, and then you come out of that. 
where you go into the darkness and you realize all the evil of the world and you come out of it and say, no, there is a light that the darkness comprehended not. And I know that in the bottom and the pits of my soul and the pits of my heart. I know that when I want to be reborn, I have to go through what? The process of being reborn. Why is it coming? Why is coming to Christ called being reborn? Because the soul's journey requires pain. Without pain, there is no birth. To reject one aspect of our soul's journey because it is painful is to reject the whole journey. It is a, re a rejection of eternal life. It is a rejection of life itself. And Christ is like, don't do that. Don't do that. The scriptures have to be fulfilled. The sun has to make its course. I'm sorry. Let me go back. I want to make sure I didn't. No, I, I didn't miss anything. Okay. We're getting to the end here. 2655. In the same hour, said Jesus to the multitudes, in the same hour, hour, Horus. See what's going on here? Are the sun said in the same hour to the 12 houses of the zodiac. Let's just reword this. Are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? Right? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. Every day, Jesus was with, in this sort of sense, you have the poor with you always, right? But you don't have Jesus until you recognize. And Jesus is saying, I was with you every day, but you didn't recognize it. Was I not there every day teaching with you in the temple? In your Aries, in your head, howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Where do you think Jesus was? I was with you in the temple. I am the Most High. I am representing the Most High. I am representing the path. I am the path to that Most High. Was I not there with you, teaching you in your own body? And you lay no hold on me. You didn't, in other words, you didn't pay attention. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets must be fulfilled. Not only does it be, it must be fulfilled because it's a cosmic law, it also has to be fulfilled so that the Old Testament can, there can be a New Testament. And we don't have to listen to a bunch of chosen people be like, I'm Bethel. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Once again, why did the disciples have to forsake him, have to leave him, have to flee him because it's Jesus's journey. Christ's death and rebirth represents transcension off the wheel of fate, wheel of fortune, wheel of karma. All of them had to scatter. They all left. And then they that laid hold on Jesus led him away to those Kabbalists, those dark magicians, those black magicians, those anti-Christs where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him far off into the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Right? So the, the only one that went is what? The, one that, the, the very sign that's at the number one that represents uh, rebirth of the year of Aries, but is also where um, ultimately the, the transformation takes place. Golgotha, the skull, that sort of thing. That's the only one that went. And of course, this is the this is constellationally what's happened. There's Simon Peter, and there's the high priest, Hercules, the Caiaphas, who have the keystone. They have the key and the stone, and they know about Kaaba. And are they telling you shit? Nope, they're not. Catholic Church's not doing it. The Jews are not doing it. Who's doing it? Gnostics are. But Peter followed him far off in the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Okay, now... Then, um, now the chief priests and the elders and all the council, they all, once again, they're all getting together and they're conspiring against Jesus. They're conspiring against the natural order of creation, guys. 
Do you think there are people out there in our world that are doing that today? Wow, it's almost like this book is a not a historical book, and it's like a book that's about shit that's happening right now. Not only happening within the spiritual temple that is you, but happening in actually in our world. And then what do they do? Now the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false witness. They sought to lie against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none because he's innocent. They knew it. Yea, though many false witnesses came, there was lots of people to be like, yes, this guy is evil. Yet they found none. At last came two false witnesses and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Okay. This is, I think this comes from John. Now Jesus did say this, but just so you know, they don't even, they don't even like mince words in the Bible. They don't even wrap this up in esoterica. This isn't even dripping wet with mysticism. This is from John 2, I believe John 2. And this is where Jesus literally says, Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Because what what's the temple you're destroying? The old atavistic, animalistic ways, the old ways in which you were not undergoing the disciplines in which you needed to undergo and you were not raising that oil up. I'll destroy that temple and in three days, the Trinitarian doctrine, I will raise that temple up. Then said the Jews, 40 and six years was the, this, then said the Jews, 40 and six years was this temple and building and wilt thou rear it up in three days? Why 40 and six? I'll show you that in just a second. Matt, there's, this is a science, guys. And wilt thou rear it up in three days? The next line says this, but he spake of the temple of his body. They just tell you. It's not a physical temple. In multiple places in the Bible, they say this is not an actual temple. Now, what do the what are the Jews are doing today? They're like, we need to rebuild the third temple because they're deranged. They're fucking insane. They're psychopathic. The Bible is literally saying that's not the temple. <laughs> I'm not building any physical. I'm not actually destroying a temple and actually rebuilding it physically. I'm doing it metaphysically. And the Bible just straight up tells you. So that we know, and so because he said this, we know that this guy here, where, where it said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. They took it literally. Just like, wait a second, you mean like, just like every Christian I know takes the shit literally? See the problem? See the problem? And the high priest arose and said unto him, answer thou nothing? You didn't say anything? Ah, oh, well, this witness is saying this, you know, this against you, that sort of thing. Okay. 40 and 6, let's just go to this here. Just so you know, just so you know clearly that we're talking about the body, it took 40 and 6 years was this temple in building. 40 and 6 is 46. This is a representation of your chromosomes. It's a, in humans, each cell normally contains 23 pairs of chromosomes for a total of 46. So it took the years in this sense are representing what? The chromosomes. How long did it take to build the temple? Oh, it took 46. 46. And Jesus is going to take that physical temple and in three days, and we know, I, I didn't even cover the math of three days. We've talked about that before. It's got Jesus's math all over. It's 4,320 and all this other stuff. I'm not going to get into that. But there's the 46. Why 40 and 6 years? Notice XX and XY is 3, 3 and 3, 2. The mean like the spinal column? Probably just one of those coinky dinks 
right? Okay. Spiritual rebirth is based on what? Birth. And then they're giving you the chromosomes? Spiritual rebirth is a reflection of your physical birth. We've talked about this before, too. So he's rebuilding the temple, which has to die. Sun must be betrayed so that it can rise again. Okay? Then he says, so you answerest thou nothing. He says nothing to him. But Jesus held his peace. And this is actually video from, I got this clip. This is actually 2,000-year-old footage of Jesus back in the day with the Caiaphas and the priests and stuff like that. The, the, I think it was, the color was added by um, George Lucas over at Skywalker Ranch, but this is actual footage of 2,000 years ago of Jesus uh, holding his peace. Jesus said nothing to them because they didn't deserve any word from the word. <laughs> they didn't deserve any explanation, right? He knew, he already knew that these people, the, these, these chief priests and these elders and these ruffians were already liars. He already knew that they weren't going to, that this wasn't some actual court of justice, if you will. He also knew that, hey, I got to fulfill prophecy here. Prophecy is being fulfilled, right? But Jesus held his peace. He pleaded the fifth. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. What is this? This is the, this is the story of Hiram Abiff and the ruffians all over again. The ruffians came up to Jesus. The ruffians came up to the master mason and said, give us the word. Give us the secrets of the master mason. Tell us them. And did he, did, what, what did Hiram Abiff said? No. What's happening here? These Jews, these ruffians are coming up to Jesus and be like, tell us, are you the oil? Are you the chrism? Because they don't know. What does he say? Not shit. Because they don't earn, they don't deserve any of it. 2664, Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see, this is, this is what he says. He's basically saying, After this, you're going to see um, me coming in the clouds and all this other stuff. You shall, hereafter, she, hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man, that light within you, sitting on the right hand of power. Once again, the hand, I'm not going to get into that. There's too much to cover there with the right hand. We've talked about that before. And coming in the clouds of heaven. It's, it's obviously a reference to what? The Son of coming in the clouds of heaven above. But it's also what? The Son of Man that is the light within you coming in the clouds of heaven. What's the heaven? It's the head. It's the high place on you. It's the pole Aries on you. And so when Christ actually shows up in your life, that's this is the metaphysical happenings within the body, if you will. The consciousness, if you will. Okay? Jesus knew he wasn't going to he wasn't going to answer them. They didn't deserve an answer. He knew he was innocent. He knew he was being screwed. He knew prophecy was being fulfilled. He also knew that these people were what? They were of, of their father, the devil. Remember, we already covered this. It was, I think, the first uh, you know, chapter, or excuse me, verse 5 here. He's like, God, with subtlety, mean like the serpent? 
He knew that ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and that's exactly what they're going to do to Christ. And abode not in truth, and that's exactly what they're doing. They're not abiding in Christ. They're not abiding in truth because there is no truth in him. There is no truth. There is no Christ within them. They can't even recognize it. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. They're all liars. He knows that he is dealing with a group of fucking demons. Okay? And they just happen to be of the Hebraic persuasion. Then the high priest rent his clothes, which means ripped his clothes, saying, um, and of course the ripping of the clothes is what is, what is, this, uh, what is this a reference to? It's a, it's a tearing off of the physical body. Okay? He, that's, uh, he hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have ye witnessed? Behold, now you've heard his blasphemy. He's a liar. He's the liar. He's blaspheming God. No, no, no. No, that's not what's happening at all. What think ye? They answered and said, he is guilty of death. We must murder him because our father is of the devil and he was a murderer from the beginning. Then they spit in his Aries. They took, they took the, the, the saliva from their pie, their pie hole, and spit on the word of God. And smote him and, and buffeted him and others smote him with the palms of their hands. The palms of the hands. Once again, the hands. The, the, this is the spiritual power in which you're able to take your spiritual, your spiritual essence, that power within you, and actually bring it into, you know, bring it into physicality, into the material world. And then they just start mocking him. They mock the process of enlightenment. They mock the process of the soul getting back to God. Twenty six sixty eight saying, "Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee?" mocking him. Now Peter sat, 2669, now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him saying, thou also was with, wast with Jesus of Galilee. So there's an accusation, this, this damsel is making an accusation saying, you are with him. We're going to bring you and kill him as well. And of course he, quote unquote, chickens out while there's a rooster crowing. He chickens out while there's a rooster crowing. Once again, this, is it really just chickening out? No, it's because this is a cosmic tale of enlightenment here. But Simon Peter, we know, is the Simon psychology. Mind means to hear or be heard. Ears are the head, of course. Jesus is the cornerstone, the petra, the stone. This is Aries as we know. So who is this damsel that comes and says, hey, you are with this Jesus guy in Galilee? Who is the damsel? Well, the damsel is a damsel in distress. It's a woman of noble birth. Well, this is, once again, Andromeda coming to play a part in the story. Who's the damsel in distress? He's a woman of noble birth. She is the product, she's the progeny of Cassiopeia and Cepheus, which is the king and queen of Ethiopia back in the, you know, the, the Grecian myth. So there's the woman, and this woman's going up to Simon Peter and saying, hey, you were with that Jesus guy. He was, he was with you in your head, in your Aries. He was the, you were with him. And when he was gone out, 20, uh, excuse me, 2670, uh, but he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. He denied it. It's, it's just like Jesus said. It's, it's almost like it's a cosmic truth that equals 345. Mathematically, it's that, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him said and said unto him uh, that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. This, he was there. He was with him. I know it. Christ was in the head. <laughs> and again, he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. Took like an oath. 
right? Completely denying Christ. He's totally chickening out, right? That's okay, though, because it has to happen. The, sh- the, the wheel of fortune must be entirely shed. And after a while came unto them that stood by and said unto Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee, which basically just means betrayed. For the speech, of course, the speech is the word. So they're, they're saying that, oh, we know that you're actually on the side of God and we're, you know, we're, we're against it. And that he began to curse and to swear. It's like, no, I don't, I don't know the man. I, I don't know him. I don't, I don't know that man. Denying it. And immediately the cock crew. And that was the third crow of the cock. And Peter, and this is the last verse. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, there's, so we already saw the cock is the corvus, it's the constellation, it's between the cup and the bread and all this other stuff. And, you know, Aries and Peter, it's all there. But why, why the cock? Why is it a representation? Why are they all of a sudden in this weird story, there's a rooster crowing? What's this whole thing about? It's about raising that energy, that spine, up the spinal column. And Jesus is setting the template so that everybody knows. What happens when the sun rises? In Aries. In in the east, if you will. The rooster crows. The rooster crows. Okay? And what happens? That sacrum, that sexual energy, right? Gets, tra- gets the Gethsemane and gets the oil press and it go- comes down from the high and goes all the way down into the darkness only so that it can travel back up just as the light does, just as the sun does. And that goes up, what? It's the sexual energy that goes up your what? Your spinal column. Do you know that penis is an anagram for spine? What happens in the morning when the sun comes up with, for, for men? They get an erection. It's, it's a natural physical thing that happens with men. It's the sexual energy that's like, rise, rise with the sun. It's literally a physical manifestation of what you're supposed to do spiritually. Rise with the sun. Headed up to Aries through your spinal column with that sexual energy that what starts in the sacrum, surrounded by the hip bones, that is the penis, that what? That sexual energy that you rise up to the Aries, which is surrounded by the other horse, the other hippocampus, the trumpet of the horn of the ram's horns of Aries. And so this is what, this is what? Well, it's Passover. <laughs> it's exactly what the whole thing is all about. Passing over that 32 and 33 up to the pole Aries so that you can rise with Christ and, and uh, head up and out of here. And so that's what the, the, the cock crowing twice. And when the cock crows thrice, that's when you know that you're a good bird. That's when you know that you're a good bird. Okay, thank you so much. Ooh, two and a half hours. Not too bad. Not too bad. Did you guys enjoy that? I tried to stay focused. I'm a little out of sorts right now because it's been a while since I've done this. So, But uh, did you guys enjoy that? Thank you all so much um, for, um, f- for joining us this Sunday. If you would like to support... Oh, I don't know. Oh, you can become a good bird. You can become a good bird at Subscribe Star. You can become a Phoenix bird, a Tequila bird, a Cygnus bird, or you can become Tom of the Pete, my bird. That's right, my Tommy. And if you'd like to send any sort of donations, um, Gnostic Academy 7781, County Road 3440, Mountain View, Missouri 65548. That's how we keep going. We keep going with your support. We don't get any support. We can't keep going. You don't buy books. We can't keep going. 
It's that simple. And we would like to because this is important work. We know it is the great work and we would like to share it with as many people, as many dis disciples. Literally, it's called methetes. We're all disciples of Christ, right? But we like to share it with as many people as possible. So if you can, uh, Venmo, buy me a copy, Cash App, PayPal, and that would be great. Uh, we are streaming to YouTube, Rockfin, Rumble, and Instagram now. We should be, I think we're streaming to Instagram, right? Jennifer has no idea. She's supposed to be on this, but she doesn't know. No, it doesn't matter. Uh, YouTube, Rockfin, Rumble. We're staying with Rockfin. We're, we were going to ditch Rockfin, but I think we're going to keep him for a while. So uh, Instagram, you can get the podcast at all the podcast places. Thanks to Content Safe for getting us on BitChute. And if you want to become a member at Rockfin, that's where you can get all the you can get all the sermons there. Tuesdays with Marty is there, which hopefully we'll start again maybe like next month or something like that, or trying to get on at least another day of the week or something like that. Um, all the music videos, a bunch of archived videos. So if people are looking for all the old videos, I don't really keep them online anymore. Um, we're really focused on the church and the services and stuff like that, but they are over on Rockman if you want to watch them. All the documentary films are there to watch for free, and there's a bunch of censored videos that are just on, on Rockman. So if you're looking for any of that old stuff, you can find it there. And there's lots of documentaries. Astrology of the Book of Mark, Flat Earth, English Gematria and the New World Order, um, Flat Earth, the Ultimate Litmus Test, all of those you can watch over at Rockman. Um, I want to say thanks to Mr. Weiss over there at the Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. The Sunday sermons are on there. Get the app find your friends it's flat and stationary and of course we also have the church store we do have books for sale that's right uh, scripture in the stars uh pie and tea volumes one and three lord jesus christ a song book alchemical writings of claudia pavonis and we've got more in store so that's gonna that's going to do it so um i think i have some did you send it to telegram did you guys enjoy that today i hope you did let me say thanks we we have to say thanks for a bunch of people that sent some stuff over um <clears throat> Over the uh, while we were on break, we weren't breaking at all. There was no vacation had. We've been working our asses off. So anyway, uh, Will and Susie, thank you so much. The Genskis, we love you guys so much. Will and Susie, Spicy Sarah and Griff, we got a card from them. Someone sent a coffee. Thank you so much, Daniel Nestor. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Robert Volfiel, uh, the gift from Santa Claus. Thank you so much. Lawrence J. Latempio, for you guys, because I love what you're doing. Best Christmas ever. Thank you so much. Jeremy Hines, Merry Christmas, my friends. Is this the right one? Yes, it is. Okay, yes. So that was all the, the last week and stuff like that. Franklin C. Russell, Justinia Skamanska? Holy cow, I can't pronounce that shit. Uh, you can't ask this dumb Irishman to pronounce shut like that. Thank you and much love to you both. Chris Neifer, Eric Colvin, Jared Poole. Thank you so much for all you've given. Thank you so much, Jared. Lindsay Chapman, we love you, girl. We love you. God bless this Gnostic church. God bless you. Jeremy Kukendall, Mary Apple Pie, Alan Woodward for your dogs. Daniel Hager, always killing it. Bruce Hutton, um, thank you so much, Bruce. Thank you. Uh, always get your um, uh, letter in the mail. So thank you so much. Michael Shucknick. Dear Marty, I trust all is well. Thank you for your good works and great lessons. What about baseball and its esoteric lessons? We could do baseball at some point, for sure. I found very little online. If you could let me know where I could read about the esoterics of baseball and what direction I could go, that'd be amazing. Stefan and Karen, wishing you both a happy new year. May you run into the right people and be delivered from the wrong people. Thank you so much. Counterculture, Eugene Jocks, Marshall Watson, Leap Co., uh, Amanda Limp, Gavin Cross, Oscar Sanchez, Leisha Crawford, Leisha, always killing it. Oscar Sanchez, good to see you. Thank you so much. Corby Olson, love you and looking for much more to come. Alex Meter, William Christie, Bill, thank you so much. B. Christie, I, if we missed you before, let me say it again. B. Christie, thank you so much. Hope you're all getting everything done you wanted to do on your break. We didn't get everything done, but we we did get a bunch of stuff done. So, Kurt Klingel, uh, Peter Bavisario, Bruce Parson, Gavin, Ray Brackman, thank you so much. Hope this helps. Never been to a yurch before. Truth Sika. 
Thank you so much. Shannon Matziel, love you so much. Thank you for the card and notes and your, your, the picture of your beautiful family and, and everything. We love you guys so much. Um, Katie uh, sent a note and a donation. Alex Meter, hope this helps during your week off. Support you for what you do. L.A. Heartland, Lisa Heartland, New Year blessing. Thank you so much. Uh, Gatorfish, God bless you, brother. There's so much wisdom in the words you share. Joshua Crawford, the Ayurvedic Clinic. Jeff Matthews, Penny Kinley, and there was a bunch of anonymous donors. So anyway, Alicia Crawford, today, uh, thank you so much. Andrew Masonette, yay, church is back. Truth Seeker, welcome back. Jared Poole, thank you so much. Missed this mu so much. Thank you, my Lord, Jared. Uh, small Axe, love Sunday mornings with this congregation. Matt Dugas, thank you so much for strings. Yes, it's, I think it was over eight months that I it didn't change my strings. That's just, that's unacceptable. So Jeremy Hines, happy rising, my friends. Much love from Frozen, Texas. Thank you so much. Anna Medina, go, good to see you. Corby Olson, thank you so much. Alex Meter, great Sunday sermon. Thunder Chicken, good to see you. Mr. Thunder Chicken, J.M. Grassi, good to see you. As always, Lawrence, Le Lawrence J. Latempio, another awesome study. Thank you, guys. Peaceably assembled. Eric Colsell, thank you so much. Magical Steven, it's good to be back, and thank you. God bless. Virginia Murray, God bless you in your new dwelling. Anonymous, thank you. And Broken Bear, thank you so much. Okay, I also want to say thank you to um, Aaron and Brian for getting our wood stove in. They got it in literally. We got our wood stove in, like, within two hours of this storm coming. It's not even a joke. So we just barely got this. <laughs> so anyway, so thank you guys for that. Okay, we're going to... Um, we're going to listen to a song from Ryan Adams has a new record actually has five new records Ryan Adams the songwriter Ryan Adams released five new fucking records unbelievable but this is the uh, uh, track one off the record called Sword and Stone and it's a really great track so anyway we'll be back next week and I think we're just going to continue on with Matthew 27 I want to finish up the book of Matthew we're going to do the tarot deck um, there, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I have planned and we're just going to launch into it this year and it's going to be a great year okay it's going to be a great year Really appreciate you guys. Really appreciate this congregation. Thank you for allowing us to keep going. We love you so much. May you always keep yourselves in love with God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. That's going to do it. Okay, guys, I will see you on the flip side. We'll see you next Sunday, and um, we're going to kill it. It'll be another really great one. I already started looking at it, and it's good. Of course, it's Book of Matthew. It's freaking amazing. So, okay, that's going to do it. Um, love you guys so much, and we will see you all next Sunday. As always, many blessings and much love to all.